Okay, it's time to commit. 2024 is the year for prioritizing yourself. Begin your new smile journey with Byte, and you could start seeing results in just two to three weeks. Just order your at-home impression kit today for only $14.95 at Byte.com. Byte Clear Aligners are doctor-directed and delivered to your door. Treatment costs thousands less than braces. Plus, they offer financing options, accept eligible insurance, and you can pay with your HSA, FSA. Get 80% off your impression kit when you use code WONDERY at Byte.com. That's B-Y-T-E dot com. Start your confidence journey today with Byte. Hey, friends. Thanks for joining our podcast. I want to tell you about something really new and exciting called Patreon.com slash BP Show. It's a great way to get uh, exclusive interviews with newsmakers, voicemails, personalized videos, political commentary, and early access to a special podcast called The Making of Bernie Sanders. Go to patreon.com slash bpshow, patreon.com slash bpshow. Giving you everything you need to fight the Trump administration. This is The Bill Press Show, live at youtube.com slash Show. All right, wake up and smell the coffee. What do you say? Hello, everybody on the Bill Press Show. Here we go. Coming out of the weekend, it is a Monday, November 13. How about it? Great to see you today, and uh, thanks for uh, tuning in on the radio and television online all across this great land of ours. We're booming out to you from our nation's capital, Washington, D.C., with all the news of the day. Hope you had a great weekend I'm ready to uh, dive in, yet Donald Trump is still uh, out of town. Um, uh, the longest presidential trip I think any of us can remember, and it makes you, uh, <coughs> pardon me, uh, almost, not almost, it makes you want to wish he would just stay out of town, just, you know, keep hopping from country to country, uh, and making a total fool of himself. Uh, it's a lot better than the damage that he could do, perhaps back here at home. At any rate, his latest stop and his last stop, uh, is in the Philippines, where, of course, he is now buddy-buddy with the uh, self-confessed murderer, uh, President Duterte, who has been murdering people single-handedly with his own hands, rather, since um, he was 15. Yeah, but he and Donald Trump are now best of friends, and Donald Trump thinks he's doing a great job uh, with the drug problem by uh, ordering the summary execution without charges, without trial, uh, without any judicial system, summary execution of thousands of people in the Philippines. He is Donald Trump's kind of guy. Oh, man, La- that and lots more to talk about, including some guy down south named Roy Moore. We'll get into all of it with you. Remember, your comments welcome on Twitter, at BP Show. But first... This is the Full Court Press. Just a couple of other stories making news just in time for breakfast. When you think healthy breakfast cereals, Bill, yeah. do you think Honey Nut Cheerios? No. No. Well, a lot of people do. I'm not one of them either. But there are a lot of people who assume that like Honey Nut Cheerios are relatively healthy if you compare to like the other super sugary cereals yeah. that are out there. Yeah, right. Uh, that these are sort of like a compromise. It's still obviously very sweet and not super healthy, but it's better for you than others. Well, New York Times took a look at Honey Nut Cheerios. And in fact, you really might as well go ahead and eat the Fruit Loops or the Frosted no, Flakes no, or whatever. Yeah. It is so packed with sugar. It is... 
just as bad as any of the other like super sugary that we equate with super sugary cereals. Honey Nut Cheerios, the number one selling cereal in the country. Out of their top six ingredients, three of them are sugar, brown sugar, and honey. And so they just pack it with so Peter, much. Peter, what's in honey? Yeah. Uh, Jamie, I'm glad you asked. It's actually sugar. Oh, more sugar. <laughs> yeah. So three different kinds of sugar are in their top six ingredients. So the point here is, if you think you're eating healthy by eating Honey Nut Cheerios and think I'm, you're- I'm not big on breakfast cereal anyhow, so. No, neither am I. I, I was when I was a kid, of yeah. course. Uh, I got a go-to. What's that? Grape Nuts. Oh, grape Nuts is a good one. Yeah. I don't think Grape Nuts is super healthy either. Really? I, I would but imagine I, that it's don't not burst my No, I forget what Carol gets, but it's not bad. It's um some kind of a whole grain flakes or yeah, something. Yeah, sure, sure. That but, stuff's all right. Yeah. That stuff is all right. <laughs> hey, have you ever been driving and seen a police officer so you flash your brights at oncoming traffic to give them a heads up? Of like, course not, because you can get arrested that way. You can get arrested. In fact, this is something that's happened here in America over the years. Now it's happening in I just Canada. like Waze. Waze tells you if there's a cop ahead. Sure, yeah, exactly. So well, go, go for Waze. In, in Alberta, Canada, there was a man who flashed his high beams to try and warn that there was a cop coming. Except here's the problem. If you're going to be flashing your high beams at a car, you might want to make sure that the car coming at you isn't the sheriff. Which is uh, what happened to this man in Calgary. He flashed his high beams in High River in Alberta, Canada, because he saw a police officer. And he flashed his beams and turned out it was a sheriff. Sheriff pulled him over, gave him a ticket. Is I'm there a law you, in the books for that? There is. Yeah. yeah. You can get a ticket for that. I, I'm telling you, everybody should drive with Waze because Waze will tell you if there's a police <laughs> officer up ahead. People report it. And that way it's all. Sometimes. Gonna get an old fashioned <laughs> police radar for yeah, the car. Sometimes. There's always time. On TV and online. This is the Bill Press Show. Yes, I don't believe our intelligence agencies. I believe Pootie. I believe whatever Pootie tells me. So says Donald Trump on his uh, Asian trip. Yeah, the wheels came off the wagon a little bit over the weekend. A lot over the weekend. What do you say? Hello, everybody. Great to see you. Happy Monday, Monday, November 13. It is good to be with you today and good to have you with us. And thank you for joining us online on our YouTube channel, youtube.com slash The Bill Press Show. How about it? Look at you on Free Speech TV. You're looking good today. Thank you for joining us on Free Speech out in uh, the greater Chicago area, all over uh, that uh, Chicago and suburbs, um, bedroom communities, uh, neighboring communities. Welcome on WCPT and uh, same in Indiana, Indiana Talks in the Indianapolis area. We've got a lot to talk about today and got some uh, good friends coming in to help us out. We're going to talk about the impact and what we can learn from the uh, recent disastrous uh, wildfires in uh, California in particular uh, from uh, the head of the National Wildlife Federation, uh, Colin O'Mara. Uh, from Talking Points Memo, Cameron Joseph will be with us to walk us through the important political news of the day. And on Donald Trump and the foreign policy front, Jessica Schulberg from Huffington Post 
or HuffPost, as you they now it. call it, you got it. Uh, will be joining us as well. Don't forget, you are very much part of the show. Uh, joining us in our studio uh, on Capitol Hill, just down the street from the United States Capitol Building. And the way you do so is send us your comments on Twitter, at BP Show, so uh, we can, uh, uh, you, you have your chance to weigh in, and we know where you stand on the issues of the, the day. Uh, yes, indeed, it, uh, it all sort of, you know, Donald Trump, he's out of town, and he was kind of on his best behavior, sticking to his talking points, uh, which have been carefully prepared by John Kelly, chief of staff and company, uh, reading his speeches from the teleprompter uh, and not giving any impromptu news conferences. Uh, somebody said maybe after 10 days he's getting tired. For whatever reason, he reverted back to form for the weekend uh, with some comments that were really stunning. I mean, uh, among other things, uh, he said, uh, and I, I, I keep thinking about this as, remember, first President Obama's first trip uh, out of um, Washington, the uh, uh, right-wingers called it his apology tour because he dared suggest that we were not an absolutely perfect country uh, in one of his speeches. Um, but I think I think we could all call this Donald Trump's disaster tour, right? Uh, so he goes to a, a big meeting of the uh, Asian countries on trade uh, and says, basically, we don't want anything to do with you. Um, we don't want to do trade deals with you. Uh, we're just going to go it alone. We're going to go it alone, and uh, we think you ought to go it alone too. It is um, every man for himself, every man or country for himself, uh, and uh, that's the way it's going to be from now on. Just base and, and you know we've talked a lot about some of these trade deals that are not necessarily good news for American workers because the deals were put together were not put together well to protect workers or to protect the environment, but the idea that we're going to Turn the turn our backs on global train trade, and pretend that we can go it alone in this global environment is insane. But that's the direction Donald Trump is going. That's the direction we voted for. That's the direction. Well, some people voted. Some people for. voted for. Right. He didn't win the uh, popular. And vote. so, what happened without it? Well, it's similar to what happened with climate change, um, where we are now the only nation on the planet after Syria and Nicaragua endorsed the Paris Accords, uh, the rest of the world is going ahead without us to do what they can on climate change. Yes. We're the outliers. That's true. Uh, And by the way, in uh, the uh, the bonds, I know we're getting off off track here a little bit. I'll come back to the uh, Asian trip. But uh, in in this current summit that's underway, maybe just wrapped up, in Bonn, Germany, on climate change, the United States government sent a delegation of climate change deniers, and there was also an American delegation of climate change believers led by Senator Jeff uh, Markey from uh, Massachusetts, Senator Jeff Merkley, uh, Ed Mark- Markey, rather, from Massachusetts, Jeff Merkley from Oregon, Mayor Michael Bloomberg, former Vice President Al Gore, and California Governor Jerry Brown, the king of climate change, all of them were there saying, no, we don't care what the federal government's doing. We, cities, states, counties, are going ahead. We're keeping America in the game. 
Um, so, you know, Donald Trump may go off in one direction. The rest of the world is just basically ignoring him. And the same thing on trade is what happened when Donald Trump said, hey, you guys can go on your own. We're not part of this anymore. So the 11 nations who are also had signed the TPP, uh, they went ahead and made a climate deal in Asia for Asian cooperation uh, in global trade uh, without the United States. So, you know, they're basically like, okay, fine, goodbye, good riddance. We're not going to fall apart because of Donald Trump, basically ignoring him, which um, sadly isn't what most Americans haven't yet learned to do. Um, at any rate, so that's one of the things that he, he said. He also, of course, um, when it came, when he was asked by reporters about, hey, did you talk to Pudi about um, hacking in our election? Uh, and Donald Trump said, of course I did. And he says he didn't do it. And so, therefore, uh, I believe him. Yes. Um, oh, great. And Donald Trump says, yeah, uh, I, I believe him, and we ought to move on and deal with other issues, right? I believe that President Putin really feels, and he feels strongly, that he did not meddle in our election. Yeah, he believes it. Did not meddle in our election. <laughs> I mean. Uh, and uh, so the reporter said, wait a minute. There's all this information why didn't you challenge him and said, of course you did. Our intelligence agency said, and Trump says, no, I didn't want to start an argument with him. I'm not looking to stand and start arguing with somebody when there's reporters all around and cameras co recording and seeing our conversation. Yeah. I mean, can you imagine? So he says, you know, uh, we're, we're, uh, I want to get along with Pudi, and that's, this is good. Getting along with other nations is a good thing. Not a bad thing. Believe me. Believe me. Yeah. That's good to get along. So, by the way, this is like, remember, during the, uh, <coughs> pardon me, I think it was during the campaign. I know it was during the campaign. When he was saying, Mexico's going to pay for the wall. Mexico's going to pay for the wall. And he went down to Mexico to meet with the president of Mexico. And the ostensible purpose was to get him to agree to pay for the wall. They didn't even talk about paying for the wall. Right? He got in front of the president of Mexico and he caved in. It's the same thing here. And we'll see later, same thing with the Philippines. So he gets in front of Putin. He has a chance to say, what the hell are you doing? Trying to interfere with our election, right? Doesn't even, I don't believe he even raised the issues. But if he did, Putin says, no, we didn't do that. And Donald Trump says, oh, I believe him. In other words, he believes Vladimir Putin over 17 intelligence agencies that said, emphatically that Russia tried to influence the outcome of this election. And that's been reconfirmed by everything we heard from Google and Facebook and Twitter last week in testimony in front of the Congress, where they showed there were 10,000 ads that Russia Kremlin operatives put up on Facebook to try to influence the election on behalf of Donald Trump. John Brennan, former director of the CIA, um, yesterday um, point, point on uh, CNN's State of the Union, uh, pointed out the what this means for Donald Trump's ability to stand up to these foreign leaders. It demonstrates to Mr. Putin that uh, uh, Donald Trump can be played by foreign leaders who are going to appeal to his ego 
and to try to play upon his insecurities, which is very, very uh, worrisome from a national security standpoint. Uh, hello. Yeah, it sure is. He can be played by Putin. He was just played by Putin. Well, this whole thing is a mess. It is. And it John is Brennan goes on to say, you know, what he's doing basically is giving Putin a pass. By not confronting the issue directly and not acknowledging to Putin that we know that you're responsible for this, I think he's giving Putin a pass. Right. So as John McCain pointed out, you know, this is beyond uh, a sloppy, right? This is, this is the president of the United States saying, okay, I've been informed by the CIA, the NSA, the director of national intelligence, the FBI, you name it, all the different intelligence agencies, Defense Department intelligence branch, 17 of them, they have told me one thing. Vladimir Putin has told me another. I believe, this is Donald Trump, I believe Vladimir Putin over all those intelligence agencies. To this date, Donald Trump has not yet, no matter who won, no matter who lost, Donald Trump has not condemned Russia for trying to interfere in our election in 2016 when everybody knows that they did. The I believe is that overwhelming. President Putin really feels, and he feels strongly, that he did not meddle in our election. You know, like, all this... It's almost treason. All this talk that we've had in recent weeks about how disrespectful these football players are to the uh, uh, troops hello. and the flag yeah, or the good national point. anthem right. or whatever. Like... What's more disrespectful than this to the country? Mm. Right. And so also in this uh, in his comments, Donald Trump, again, I say the wheels or wheels certainly came off the wagon. Uh, he was asked about the Russian. So in light of this, what about the Russian probe? Uh, once again, he says this whole thing with Mueller is what he called an artificial democratic hit job. That's what the Russia. That's what the Mueller investigation is, which, again, has already found. Two of t t Donald Trump's top aides guilty of money laundering, uh, and where one other top aide uh, has admitted that he lied to the FBI, and we're told it's only a matter of time before Michael Flynn and his son uh, join the list of people who've been indicted by Robert Mueller, and that's and 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 Mueller is just getting started. Uh, Trump still uh, attacking Mueller, attacking the whole investigation. Yeah, an artificial. Democratic hit job. How could he say that after Paul Manafort and, of course, he can say whatever he wants. Right? Yeah, right. And, exactly. And Rick Gates. Um, so, uh, yeah, tr Trump, um, uh, with with his comments and God knows what's going to happen over the next few days. And then he gets to the Philippines and he meets with and praises President Duterte uh, who has attacked the United States, called Barack Obama a name we can't repeat on this show, uh, and Duterte, who also over the weekend bragged uh, that he killed, with his own hands, he killed the first person that he's in a lifetime of murder uh, when he was 15. So he's been doing it ever since then. He knows what he's doing. So these thousands of people who have been summarily executed for allegedly being involved in the drug trade in the Philippines, some of them probably, I'm sure, were, but some of them were not, uh, without any trial, without any charges, without any judicial system, Duterte's just ordered their execution. Uh, Donald Trump praised him for the job that he's doing in the war on drugs. Yeah, he wishes he had that kind of power. Wishes he had, exactly, yeah.
Uh, so here, here you've got our president on foreign soil believing Putin over intelligence agencies and telling that and then wrapping his arms around and embracing a killer, um, a, a known professed murderer, uh, the president of the Philippines. And for final measure, uh, Donald Trump also took the occasion to take one more swipe at uh, Kim Jong-un. Kim Jong-un apparently referred to Donald Trump as old. He is. He's 71. I mean, he could be older, but, I mean, he's not spring chicken. And so Donald Trump says, well, why did he call me old? You know, I could call him fat and short, but I won't. I mean, just continuing this war on words. Uh, and by the way, also as leader of the free world, ladies leader of the free world, there ladies and gentlemen. Yeah, I might just add as a throwaway. Uh, at the, as we speak, we have three, one, two, three aircraft carriers cruising off the coast of North Korea, just to show how strong we are. Uh, just think about how much that is costing you and me for that little silly show of strength. Everybody knows we have a military that's like a hundred times bigger than North Korea's, right? Everybody knows if we if we want to, really, we could turn North Korea into a parking lot. I mean, we don't have to. Yeah, we don't have to flash our dick. Pardon me for getting crude at North Korea every day. Uh, there, but that's Donald Trump's style again. Uh, so, on that note, let's move on to Roy Moore. <laughs> Talk about flashing. Yeah, God, this is this is insane. Uh, Roy Moore is back, and he says now the answer is he is going to, for the rest of his campaign, uh, he's just going to talk about God. It's all going to be over if we just get back to God. He said that's the answer to these allegations of us preying on teenage women when he was in his 30s as a district attorney. attorney. He even gave an interview with uh, Sean Hannity's radio program where he thought he would be helping himself. He really didn't. Because he goes on to offer proof, right, that he didn't do what these four women have said that happened to them when they were teenagers. And Roy Moore really can't deny that he was dating teenagers. In fact, he doesn't. He offers no evidence that he wasn't. And he doesn't really say, no, I never did that. The best he can come up with is, first of all, saying this is, again, all politically motivated. Allegations of sexual misconduct with her are completely false. I believe they're politically motivated. And politically motivated. Man. And I love this, as if this makes it okay. I never took out these teenagers without asking their mommy first. I don't remember ever dating any girl without the permission of her mother. And I think in her statement, she said that her mother actually encouraged her to go out with me. So he dated teenage girls as a grown man. That's yeah. what he's saying. Listen, I dated listen. teenage girls, but I asked their mommy first. By the way, if you're that, a, doesn't that make your skin crawl? If you're a 30-something-year-old man, yeah, and you have to ask permission of a woman that you want to date of their mother, uh, you, you are not doing the right thing. Mm. That's not how dating works. Uh, no, no. And when you ask them, meet me around the corner from your house so your mommy doesn't see you're getting in my car, right? Mm-mm. No, no, no. Uh, yeah, just just a little tip. If you're in your 30s and you're in the dating game, if you have to ask a girl's mother if you could date them first, you're dating someone too young. Uh, so then uh, Roy Moore says, well, of course, <laughs> There's collusion. The Washington Post and these girls were colluding 
We're also doing an investigation, and we have some evidence of some collusion here, but we're not ready to put that to the public just yet. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Right. It's the buzzword of the moment. So, you know, I, I don't blame Roy Moore for using the word. You know, <laughs> I get it. I don't yeah, think he knows right. what it means. Uh, <laughs> uh, in fact, uh, since that statement, he is now, uh, his wife, I think, said that they are, in fact, suing uh, the Washington Post. Yeah. yeah. Good luck with that as well. Uh, let's just be honest. This guy is guilty as sin, right? I mean, there's no doubt about it. It's tough enough to get for any woman, as we've seen through all this sex scandals we've been living through for the last couple of weeks, it's tough enough and has been for a long, long time for any woman to come out and admit and talk about sexual abuse on the on the part of her boss, her employer, her whatever, uh, a, 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 a power figure in her life, whether it be a teacher or whatever. Uh, but to get four women, not one, four to actually come forward and you really think that they colluded to lie, colluded with the Washington Post to lie about Roy Moore, it is absurd to, to even suggest that. These women are telling the truth. Roy Moore is lying, and Roy Moore should get the hell out of there. And if not, Republicans should kick him the hell out of there. And, and what's so grotesque about this is, <laughs> you know, we as men a lot of times look at these stories and we think, like, well, why— why didn't these women come out sooner? Why didn't they talk about this sooner? And you you watch how this is playing out, and you can see why. You know, yeah, you can they're see. trying to discredit yeah. these women. Breitbart has sent two reporters down there for the They've, sole yeah. purpose right. of discrediting these women. Roy Moore talking about suing the Washington Post for bringing light to this story. Yeah, and, like yeah, I get it. And you know they're going to be attacking. The, they're going to be looking for any little affair that these women might have had, or any other boyfriends that they might have. They're going to be throwing all kinds of dirt at them, trying to smear them, just like. Donald Trump smeared the women. And let's not forget, you know, the number one serial sexual predator of all is president of the United States, yeah. who still has a case open, open case against him. Uh, and so, um, like he smeared, called the women who uh, accused him of sexual uh, uh, assault liars. Uh, these women down there are going to undergo the uh, same suffer the same treatment on the part of Republican. In fact, you hear it already. Why did they wait so long? They're lying. They're paid by Democrats to do this. They colluded with the Washington Post. Uh, I mean, you can go on and on and on about the attacks that we already heard uh, against these four women. And Republicans are in a quandary. And I got to tell you, as much disgust as I have for Roy Moore, I'm equally disgusted by Republicans who are hiding behind this, if true... He should get out, right? Like Tim Scott from South Carolina yesterday, thinking that this is a bold statement. Certainly the allegations are very, very strong. The denial was not as strong as the allegations. I think if the allegations are true, there's no doubt that he should step aside. Yeah, but you know what that means? He's doing nothing. No, He'll exactly. do nothing. Exactly. Right. If because, these allegations are true, is yeah. very easy Because to Roy Moore is never going to admit it. And he's never going to get out on his own. And chances are he could win. He could win election. And then what's Tim Scott going to do? He's, he's going to say, "Well, the people of Alabama have to, have spoken, yeah. right?" Yeah. That is a. It's C not up for us to get involved in these no. local elections. That is a spineless CS response. Much better, I think, the Republican. And there have been a couple of these people. Mike Lee, 
John McCain, uh, and here is Pat Toomey from Pennsylvania, who says, I'm not going to wait around to see if this is true or not. From my point of view, uh, you know, I have to say, I think the accusations have more credibility than the denial. I think it would be best if Roy would just step aside. So what can they do about it? Do about it? Well, Pat Toomey's got one idea. There's no easy solution to this. I think we should consider a write-in. Consider a write-in. So the things that are under consideration, I know you talked about this with Igor Volsky and Peter on Friday, um, some Republicans are trying to convince the governor to delay the election again until sometime in 2018. She could do that. She has said for now she doesn't intend to do that. She still could. The other is uh, a write-in campaign for either Luther Strange or, get this, whose seat was that? Jeff Sessions' seat. He could, if if she delays the election, he could resign as attorney general, go down there and stage a write-in campaign, which, by the way, I think Jeff Sessions could probably win. Yeah. Uh, The other alternative would be uh, let Roy go ahead, and if elected, then Republicans in in the Senate would refuse to seat him which would um, that would be that'd be like I don't know, man. That'd be World War Three here in Washington D.C. Do you think that would happen with these Republicans? Maybe, maybe. really, maybe it wouldn't be uh, it wouldn't be fifty-two to nothing, right? Right. But the Republican caucus could refuse to seat someone. And wow. I think one time in our history, I've got to double check that they did do that. But anyway, they could. It would be a tough vote for them. Um, but it'd be a little, I think, a lot tougher for them to go into 2018 and defend having this pedophile in their ranks. You know, there is one other choice, uh, and I must say, uh, Nicole Wallace on MSNBC is the one who put this out pretty bluntly. She said Alabama Republicans face a choice to vote for the Democrat or to vote for a pedophile. Yeah. Uh, sadly, a lot of Alabama Republicans, given that choice, would vote for the pedophile. It's true. Just like. In Louisiana, a lot of people voted for David Duke instead of Edwin Edwards. They voted for the KKK rather than the crook, yeah. right? Uh, so, it's, but but the latest polls show, and Steve Shepard, our friend from uh, Politico this morning, uh, cites three of them. There were two polls. These are called flash polls. So they're done like right. The news comes out. They do a phone poll uh, to uh, to uh, among Republicans in Alabama. Uh, the first one, and by the way, polls beforehand showed <coughs> Roy Moore with maybe 12 points lead over Doug Jones. The first two flash polls uh, showed it a lot closer. Uh, the Gravis marketing, Roy Moore 48, Doug Jones 46. Uh, Charge research, Roy Moore 44, Doug Jones 40. But the latest one over the weekend is the JMC poll, a poll that skews Republican, and that poll shows Doug Jones 48, Roy Moore 44. There's a Republican polling firm showing Doug Jones up by four points. We'll see what's going to happen down there, but um, there's no doubt, I believe, that... uh, By the way, you know, I think Democrats ought to just stay away from this. The last thing we need is for Chuck Schumer or... You name it, Nancy Pelosi or Barack Obama or anybody who go down there. Just let the let the Republicans deal with this. They're, you know, they got a problem. They're falling apart. Let them let them commit suicide over Roy Moore. It's uh, a real problem. 
It's a real problem. And, you know, with your Alabama roots, you think? Well, I said on Friday, I, I'm convinced that Roy Moore is still going to win this election. If, uh, it, if it goes forward as it as it currently stands. And, look, nobody will be happier to show up the day after the election and say I was wrong than me if that does happen. But uh, I, I just, you know, there were guys out there. Uh, the I think it was the auditor for the state of Alabama that came out and said, "Well, look at look at Jesus oh, yeah. Christ! Oh, yeah. You have oh, yeah. Mary, who was oh, a teenage yeah. girl, yeah. Mm-hmm. and Joseph yeah. was an adult carpenter. Look yeah. at what they put together. Mm-hmm. They put out mm-hmm. a Jesus Christ. Yeah, and you know, know, in that poll, by the way, it, they they ask whether you're more likely or less likely to vote for Roy Moore after the allegations. The percentage of women to men was higher for mm-hmm. more likely to vote for Roy Moore." <laughs> God. After these allegations have surfaced, I mean, look, it's it's sort of like the Trump effect. You know, we oh, look yeah. at all the polls, and Trump yeah. was down yeah. in all the polls because people were just sort of like no. embarrassed no. to say that they were going to vote for him. And I can understand why Alabamans would Alabamians would be upset or embarrassed about about voting for a Roy Moore and just say like, "Hey, I'm not going to vote for him." Yeah. And then when it comes down to well, it, rather him than a Democrat. I uh, I must say, finally, here we are going to move on. That uh, I did spend a good time in the seminary studying for the priesthood. I do have a degree in theology. Uh, I have studied the scripture. I never in my entire theological career, a time studying theology, heard anybody invoke the Holy Family uh, as an excuse for pedophilia or for sexual assault yeah. or sexual abuse. I never did. So this is a this is a first. But I might remind that auditor. She was called the Virgin Mary. There was a difference. Uh, yes, those wildfires in the West. Uh, what could it, what does it tell us about what we ought to be doing about the climate change? Colin Amara joins us, president of the National Wildlife Federation, uh, coming up next here on the Bill Press Show. If the allegations are true. If the allegations are true. They're true. If there is any shred of truth. Get social with Bill Press. Like us at Facebook.com slash Bill Press Show. This is the Bill Press Show. commentary the best clips from the show all in one place youtube.com slash the bill press show on a monday november 13 uh, welcome back here the bill press show we're in washington dc that's where we start we end up right alongside of you on the radio and television all across this great land of ours uh, thank you so much for joining us as we're brought to you today by the international association of iron workers those good men and women of the iron workers union under President Eric Dean, they are building our communities today and ready to rebuild America's infrastructure tomorrow. Uh, check out their good work at ironworkers.org. Before we move on, uh, half an hour talking about the uh, first half hour, talking about Donald Trump and his outrageous and uh, troubling comments uh, over the weekend uh, on many fronts. Uh, as part of his Asian tour. Sort of an evergreen setup. Uh, Donald Trump yeah, and his but, troubling comments over the weekend. But he's sort of behaving himself for the first little bit. week or so. John Kelly, I think, maybe took a day off, do you think? <laughs> <laughs> what was it Rob, Bob Corker said about that one day? That somebody missed their shift? Yeah, yeah, late, yeah. Late yeah. for their shift? Late the, for their shift at the daycare. And on that front and on the Roy Moore front, uh, Jamie, some, a few comments from our 
listeners, viewers? A couple of comments, two sources on Twitter and on our YouTube channel, youtube.com backslash The Bill Press Show. We'll begin there. IQ271 says, sorry, Peter, but people who voted for Trump were not ashamed to admit they were going to vote for him. It's just that Republicans managed to, uh, I believe they mean suppress, Democratic votes through voter suppression. Uh, So there's one angle there. Uh, To Twitter, again, we're talking about Roy Moore and whether or not he has uh, a chance now, given these new allegations, whether or not he can still win this Senate race. Sheldon uh, on Twitter agrees with Peter. Sadly, I think Peter is right. Alabama doesn't care about the candidate's perversions so long as it's a male, white, Republican, and claims to be Christian. It's a pretty good point there from Sheldon. One more comment from Mark on Twitter. Perhaps the real question is why Alabama and other Nazi-sympathizing states, hot take, are part of this union. I think it's time for an amicable divorce. Hey, here's a deal. They can adopt Christian law and leave the rest of us the F alone. Thank you, Mark. That's my favorite comment of the day. Keep them coming in the YouTube chat room, youtube.com backslash the Bill Press Show and on Twitter at BP Show. Uh, but just to show you that all, uh, thank you, uh, Jamie, that uh, all is right with the world, I want to point out that as we speak, uh, Ivanka Trump is on Fox and Friends this morning uh, making the case for tax reform. Great. If there's anybody you should believe that is on your side, you middle class, us middle class Americans, fighting there for us to figure out a fair shake in the tax reform plan, the idea that she knows anything at all about tax reform is just ludicrous God. but there she is she's that's her she's she's a person they're putting out there to sell us on the republican tax reform plan let's put that all aside for a moment and talk about the things that are important like the planet earth and what we're doing about it colin namara is the president and ceo of the great national wildlife federation good to see you again colin thank thanks you for thanks, thanks for, having for coming in uh what have you been up to lately been a um, it's been a whirlwind few few weeks, but you know it's interesting because I often joke that my absolute you know worst day anywhere else in the country is better than my best day in D.C. But the other day I was down at the uh, the Mexican border um, working with First Lady Bush on some habitat work, and you know it's funny just the reality on the ground is so different than what we see here. Um, you know, but between the forest fires we saw out west and the in the massive um, hurricanes we saw in the southeast. Uh, somehow we're you know, talking about whether or not the uh, leader, the great leader of North Korea, is short and fat and sweet, <laughs> as opposed to right. you know these massive calamities yeah. that have millions of people still affected, and we're not talking about that right now. Uh, yeah, one would think maybe there are higher priorities than <laughs> calling the, the leader of North Korea uh, names uh, in, in a tweet. Uh, uh, you called me old. Well, you're short and fat. <laughs> yeah, hey, come on, there. Mm-hmm. Jesus. Mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> The area around the Rio Grande, you, you, you were down there. We were just talking about that off the air. I mean, this is – people don't understand that we're going to build a wall along the border as if the entire border is just rocks and sand and no man's land, right? I mean, yeah. this is a very particularly sensitive wildlife area. Yeah, I mean, Refuge, the, um, the, it's actually one of the most um, biodiverse areas in the entire country. You can see about 400 species of birds just at the single, like, Santa Ana National Wildlife Refuge, which is right outside of McAllen, Texas. Um, you know, birders around the world go to Saint pa- San Padre Island and to yeah. and, and South Padre Island and to places like Brownsville and, and Harlinger. And, um, and the communities are amazing. These kids, I was just in a bunch of schools with First Lady Bush and with, um, with some officials from the Fish and Wildlife Service, and these kids are just doing amazing things for wildlife, um, and yet the conversation here is about how we put a wall right in the middle of their community. Can you build a wall on that? In that, I mean, it is a wetland, correct? 
So yeah, so you have you have the Rio Grande itself, and you have some yeah. areas that are wetlands. You have some you know some older forest. I mean, you physically can. Um, you can destroy a habit, you destroy habitat. Cor- you destroy right. the habitat corridor. Right. And I think one of the things that that you know it came very clear to me is that there's technological solutions. If they're concerned about security, that we can use that don't require destroying this incredible habitat. And frankly, the outdoor economy that supports a lot of visitors to that region um, and puts a lot of folks to work. So I mean, it just seems again like the rhetoric doesn't match the reality on the ground. The uh, being from California and uh, having worked for Governor Jerry Brown, I was struck when the wildfires were, were still raging through Northern California, particularly, but actually statewide. But the one that we hear most about and did the most damage was in the Santa Rosa area. Um, that uh, Governor Brown said after the hurricanes and now the wildfires, it's like climate change is a disaster movie in slow motion. Is there a connection? Absolutely. And so um, a friend of mine said it's almost like one of those 70, 1970s horror movies, but like the plot's like almost too unbelievable because too many things are happening at once. Yeah. I mean, look, I mean, forest fires are natural. You know, fires are a good way to you know, restore fire, forest health. What we're seeing now is unlike anything we've seen before. I mean, this year alone, 8.8 million acres burned. It's not even the, the worst fire season. That was in 2015 when almost 10 million acres burned. Um We've had eight of the worst fire seasons in history in the last 15 years, and you now they're burning hotter, they're burning longer. The, for, the, the fire season's about 80 days longer than it was before. The Forest Service is starts getting, earlier, lasts longer. Exactly. Huh? And this was a year that we had good snowpack in a bunch of places, but the summer was so hot and dry that all of a sudden, you know, these things basically had tinderboxes um, in Montana and in California and other states. And I think the thing that's scary for me is that. Um, the Forest Service, which is kind of charged with restoring a lot of the forest to reduce threats like fire, is spending 60% of their budget right now fighting fires. And that's money that previously they would have spent on restoration that would have actually helped um, reduce the threats of fire in the long term. So, we're, again, we're being kind of penny-wise and pound-foolish um, because we're not investing in the restoration and we're not addressing the underlying issues, which obviously mm-hmm. are driven by climate. Well, one of the um, arguments uh, that I remember, particularly when I was living in Southern California and, they, and these firefighters would or these wildfires would swoop down some of the canyons and destroy a lot of homes. Is people were saying, "Well, we're just we're we're allowing people to build in areas where we should not allow them to build." Now, I guess that's still partly true. But when you look at Santa Rosa, the you know this this fire went right through and built up urban area. Yeah, and I think we were not talking about remote. Cabins, right? Up no, the- exactly. And look, I mean, like, we could obviously do a better job of siting. And as you know, a lot of those Silicon Valley, you know, f- folks took their money into Napa, into Sonoma, into you know Santa Rosa. I mean, they did. You know, a lot of those houses were built at that what they call the Wildlands Urban Interface, the WUI. Um, but you know, and of course, we have to do a better job there. We should have better, more fire-resistant building materials. But I mean, there's very little that could have been done to scale of of this scale of of, of fire. And I think what we want to see is we want to see better restoration. We want to make sure that we're not spending every, every dollar on the problem instead of the solutions. And then we've got to have a conversation about the climate touch points. Um, and that's everything from, like, bark beetles that are you know, more prolific and killing trees. We have issues with, you know, less, less water and you know, kind of drier soil conditions. Um, there's just a lot of factors. And unfortunately, I mean, almost 50 people died between Montana fires and California fires this year. And yet we're not, you know, there's, then there's a, a great bipartisan push on the Hill, but you wouldn't hear it in the local media. I mean, I, I mean, yeah. nationally, it got almost no coverage at all except for a few days of Santa Rosa coverage. Right. And it's, a, it's a huge crisis affecting you, tens of millions of people. Right. I mean, you, you with the National Wildlife Federation, has just, just done a report on the uh, wildfire. So what, what are your recommendations for 
any kind of mitigation at all. Yeah, so the, you know, we put out a report on, on mega fires and basically the threats to communities and, and to wildlife. And, and the, the first recommendation is actually funding the restoration of our forests. And we can do this in a way that supports local communities and creates additional economic development opportunities and at the same time improves wildlife habitat, watershed quality. Um, and there's a bipartisan bill by you know, Senator Mike Crapo from Idaho with, with Ron Wyden from, from Oregon and from Diane Feinstein and, and uh, Jim, Jim, Rich, Jim Rich is on the bill. Mm-hmm. Um, great bipartisan coalition of folks that I want to consider all progressives. Um, and, and so getting that done is a huge step. Um, Senator Barrasso has been having some productive conversations with Senator Carper on some management improvements that could make some sense, um, you know, potentially. And then and then there's a, a series of things we need to do on the climate side. I mean, we actually have to get at the, you know, we have to get at carbon pollution. We have to actually kind of reduce the overall threat. And obviously that's a longer term challenge. But, you know, in the, in the near term, let's restore the forest. Let's make it more resilient. In the long term, let's reduce the the uh, stressors that are causing the chaos in the first uh, place. And I think you already said this, just, but just to emphasize it, you, you can actually chart, right, or map how uh, wildfires have gotten more severe no, absolutely. over the last, yeah. over the last so, decade. I mean, we were two and a half to three million acres um, were burning on average in 1975. You know, 2015 to 2017, you're looking at seven to nine million acres, depending on the year. So, I mean, it's a two and a half fold increase um, from before. And, and there's a lot of good ideas, right? Like Senator Cantwell from, you know, Maria's done some really good work with some legislation around the uniqueness of the Washington State Forest and how do you do more proactive work there. And, I mean, it's just it's one of these issues that, again, doesn't get a lot of attention. But if we don't get a handle at it, it's just going to get worse and worse and worse every year to the point where you have, you know, hundreds of communities at risk, not just a handful. And It reminds me of so many yeah. problems that we have here in this country where it's just like – We'll just deal with the problem as it happens, even though it gets worse and worse and worse and worse. And so many people sort of deny that it's even a problem. Right. And we'll, just it's just kind of how we operate now. We'll deal with we'll deal with it, or we won't deal with it. Right. Yeah. Right. 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 <laughs> I mean, we'll maybe talk about dealing with it and right. not do anything. Yeah. Uh, and the link to uh, the link to climate change is is real. Yeah, I mean, if you, if you look at um, a couple things. So if you look at kind of where invasive species and, and, and kind of the and temperature ranges, things like that, they're shifting. If you look at the, um, the, soil, the soil health and the, and the moisture levels, um, they're decreasing, you know, fairly, fairly quickly. And so, again, fire is natural. It's been on the landscape for a long time. But we're seeing things, that, again, that are bigger, brighter, and lasting longer than before. And I can think you that's make, the change. Can you make the same connection with uh, hurricanes, Harvey, yeah. you know, and uh, – all the rest of them. Yeah, I mean, look, I mean, every model, every scientist that you talk to will say that things are going to become more frequent and more powerful. And that's what we're seeing, right? And so, again, hurricanes are a natural phenomenon. They've been around for, for millennia. However, at the frequency we're seeing and at the intensity we're seeing is something new. When you have, you know, 100-year floods every other year um, or 500-year floods right, every other year, right? right? Yeah, yeah. And, and Storm it, of the century. Yeah. It's the fifth one we've had yeah. this week. And, I'm, and, and no one can come on, on your show and say, like, you know, this storm was directly attributable to it. But they can say, like, look, these the fact we had 10 storms this year and not two storms like we normally have, um, they definitely can. And I think, you know, to Peter's point, I mean – we're just being very, very pound, you know, kind of pennywise and pound foolish. We're yeah. like just a little bit of investment would actually put a ton of people to work, make communities a lot safer, reduce the long-term threats, and we could do it in a bipartisan way before even getting to the bigger issues on like carbon and you know kind of on the regulatory side. So, you know, I, again, it's, it's infrastructure. I mean, it's all these issues where we're just kind of creating this bigger and bigger debt for you know my daughters and you know, future generations. Um, I think it was a, a very significant that um, uh, just the end of last week this climate summit. Yeah in Bonn uh, had basically two American delegations, right? <laughs> there was the Trump delegation of climate deniers, uh, and then there was the 
a delegation of of climate change believers, right, and activists led by Al Gore, Michael Bloomberg, Jerry Brown, Ed Markey, yeah. Jeff Merkley. Yeah. Ben Cardin was there, Sheldon Whitehouse. Be- is that right? Yeah. The two, oh, yeah. they, were there, they were there as yeah. well, you know. And they all had they had their big tent that Michael yeah. Bloomberg paid for, and they had events yeah. there and speeches there, and then the American delegation had their, their little... Del- they're a little group of people that everybody kind of ignored, yeah. right? Well, and, I, well yeah. and, I, and I do love, I mean, like, I mean, you know, our federal system is unique, right, in terms of, you know, the way that the way that we're structured compared to the kind of more unified governments in a Germany or in a, in a Britain. Um, but I think it was important to have that voice there. That, Absolutely. You know, you know, a lot of the mayors are still, almost all the mayors are That's doing amazing thing. things. Like, That's a lot of governors are doing amazing things. You know, I mean, we, we're having actually... You know, in some, in some cases, almost more activism. You know, at the state and local level, because of the intransigence of the of the administration. So, I was proud those guys were there, and hopefully, they kind of saw that. You know, the that, um, the American people as a whole want action on this you know, on climate. Yeah. Plus, again, it's worth pointing out, as we did earlier, that now the United States. It was uh, when we pulled out of uh, Paris, we were that made us one of three nations on yeah. the planet uh, that was not part of that the accords. Now that Syria and Nicaragua <laughs> have endorsed the accords, we're the only outlier. No, exactly. Right? And you know, when God, Syria and North what Korea, what a position and... <laughs> for the United States well, to be in. The yeah. number one—it's—it's it's no exaggeration to say this is the number one challenge yeah. facing the planet, planet. Correct? Yes, by far. <laughs> yeah, and, well, and, 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 and I feel bad. And we ignore it. Well, and I feel yeah. bad that like Nicaragua got like eviscerated on, on, on Twitter and on Facebook and everything else. They were they were not in because they wanted to be stronger. They thought yes. it wasn't strong yes. enough right, for right, them. They, right. weren't, they weren't like a holdout because of denialism or something else. And so, um, yeah, I mean, but the fact the Syrian government with everything else going on can find a way to support uh. global action, yet we're the, you know, the, the laggard. It's just, it's just an abdication of 100 years of global leadership. So how much damage can Trump do by pulling out of the Paris Accords? Does it really... Uh, in, the, in the real, pardon me, in the real world, does it really set us backwards, or just means we're sort of like in a holding pattern until he's out of there? Look, I mean, I, I mean, I, I still, you know, I'm still an American exceptionalist. I think like we do best as a world when America's leading in in big ways. I think when we send that signal, you let folks that have other concerns because of you know economic issues related to fossil fuels or other things, it gives them an excuse not to act as quickly. Um, and so we're kind of giving cover to folks that are in some ways just playing you know, roulette with our with our future. And so, you know, we'll, we'll still meet most of the, the targets because states are doing amazing things. The private sector is moving so quickly right now and yeah, technology is going cheaper. A lot of the big corporations were in were included in Michael Bloomberg Al Gore's group oh, there, right? We were just talking about this the yeah. other day, right? Sure. Like Donald Trump claims to be this great businessman and this wonderful businessman. And the reality is like the new energy technology that we're that's being worked on that's cleaner and better for the environment is a huge business opportunity. And I hate to be so craven about it, but like there's no it is. There's money to be made there. Look, I don't want to spend my life buying, you know, solar panels made in China and turbines right. made in made in, you know, Germany and you know, all kinds of technology, biofuels and the like coming out of Europe. I mean like I these is these are jobs. At a yeah. time at a time when we're trying to figure out how to rebuild the middle class and actually have you know, kind of robust opportunities to make sure you put people to work here. There's nothing better than clean energy. And frankly, it's one of the fastest growing sectors of the economy. Yeah. And, and and we're doing everything we can to the federal level to try to kill it, which right. is just insanity. So meantime, we have a uh, an interior secretary uh, and a director or what's this? Not the director, administrator of the EPA. Yep. yep. Administrator. Administrator of the EPA. Both of them are normally expected to be the lead environmentalist in any administration. 
who in this administration happen to be the leaders of the anti-environmental right. movement. But let, let's start with Ryan Zinke at, at Interior. So uh, his number one priority is to shrink the size of our national monuments. Is that uh... so? I mean, I think, and like, in just full disclosure, the National Wildlife Federation endorsed his candidacy because c- compared to the other you know candidates they were looking at, he was by far no. At the time, no. At the you weren't alone. At the time, everybody no. said, "Oh my God!" At least he's re- reasonable, yeah. right? Yeah. Right. And, and I think I think he hasn't proven think, to be that much. But. No, and I think I think like I mean, he's taken very seriously the director from the White House around this energy dominant strategy, which basically means short term game over long term kind of sustainability. Um, and I'm hopeful that they'll you know, kind of do things. And I'm still waiting for that kind of conservation push. And they've done a couple little things, but you know they've been fairly few and far between. Um, but at the end of the day, like, I mean, you know, he views his mandate as from the administration as trying to figure out how to have more oil, gas and coal and minerals coming out of the out of public lands. Um, he's done a good job increasing access. He's done a couple little things. He's done some stuff with firefighting that's been pretty, pretty thoughtful. Um, but if that's the main goal, then, of course, the things like shrinking monuments where there are resources below the ground or um, right. acting you're trying to get to fits into this bigger frame of you know, right. energy dominance. Yeah. Part of the uh, review of our public lands and national monuments mm-hmm. and, and whether or not they're too big or they should be national monuments in the first place was allowing more resource extraction, correct? Meaning more mining, Absolutely. more, more drilling, drilling, exactly. or whatever, yeah. on, no, exactly. on public lands. Well, and, and the one that's, and look, I mean, the, the the handful they're looking at right now are all ones that have big mineral um, kind of deposits under, underneath them, right? So um, the one that is really, I think, the most troubling and should be for, for all of your listeners and is, is Bears Ears um, in Utah, which yeah. has more than 100,000 Na- Native American sites, incredibly important culturally. We were, we've were we worked with the, the Navajo and the Hopi and, and other tribes just trying to raise this voice. Um, you know, We actually worked with a few of them to actually try to make the case directly to the president, um, mm-hmm. trying to make the case saying, look, if you start slicing and dicing this up, first of all, you're going to put a bullseye on some of these cultural, cultural artifacts. And once you destroy the, once you destroy the kind of integrity of the site, They're gone. you can never get it back. And yeah. it's just, you know, and this is the kind of stuff that, where he could do permanent damage. Um, but but uh, the, the guy who's really doing permanent damage, and while uh, every, uh, everybody says, well, these Republicans, you know, they're so um, kind of clumsy or whatever, they, they haven't been able to get any major legislation through Congress, which is true, but Scott Pruitt's doing a lot of damage at EPA. It, it's just staggering. I mean, and like watching kind of the Republican giants like Chrissy Ty Whitman or Bill Riley or Bill Ruckelhaus, um, you know, just be just just ashamed of what's happening over there right now. I mean, it's one of the most efficient parts of the, the government right now. I mean, you look at the speed with which they're withdrawing rules, the time it takes from a meeting in the morning with lobbyists to the time that the, the directive goes out to do whatever they ask for in the afternoon. Oh, um, and it's, it's it's the greatest hits in some ways, right? I mean, it's, it's yeah. basic clean air, basic clean water. I mean, I mean, even setting aside the climate stuff, which I think is obviously incredibly important, but it's basic chemical standards, basic health and safety standards, um, and then basically getting rid of all the scientists that you know have any kind of impartiality because you want more industry folks kind of coming onto these advisory panels. I mean, it's just a recipe for disaster. I mean, I, I think it's such a breach of his, his duty that I mean, he has to go. I mean, I just don't, I don't see how um, he's fulfilling any of his responsibilities. And but frankly, and he hasn't been back on the Hill in since his confirmation. I mean, he at his core, at his core, he is against all of these very basic yeah. things. Uh, uh, it's his mission as uh, uh, attorney general in Oklahoma, but he sued the FBA, EPA 15 times know, or and, something and, like that. And he lost every single one of them. That's the thing. I mean, so he had this kind of ideological crusade. And look, I, I get that he wants to go back and run for office, but I don't think people in Oklahoma also want, you know, more arsenic and PCBs right. in their water. I mean, I don't think folks want to be you know choking on smog and soot. Um, and, and so I just 
like I, I think there's a lot of ways that EPA could be more efficient. I think there's a lot of ways that it could have more state involvement. But like what he's doing is just a sheer decimation. And the part that kills me is that you have good men and women that are, are just really trying to do their job, good civil servants that are being abused, that are being kind of frozen out, that are leaving in droves. And the ability to rebuild that is going to take the next administrator and the administrator after that years. Um, uh, is there any scientists left at EPA? I mean, there are some that are still doing everything they can, you know, to try to make sure that the scientific integrity is still there. Because some of the best scientists in the world, some of the best research in the world comes out of EPA. Um, but, I mean, they're making their lives a living hell intentionally trying to force them out. God. Right. Oh, my God. Yeah. Um, and um, they're not even allowed to, to use – is it – they're not even allowed to use the phrase – yeah, I mean, I, I challenge anyone to kind of go on the website and find it on any page that's you know prominent <laughs> at all. I'm sure it's buried on some you know cache file somewhere, but I mean it's it's staggering. Yeah, climate change is a hoax. <laughs> that's what they'll say on their website. Yeah. Wow. Uh, how can people get in touch with you and find out what you're doing? Yeah, so um, uh, come to our, our website at nwf.org. That's National Wildlife Federation. Nwf.org. Follow us on Facebook and Twitter. But we'd love the help, and you know. Like, I mean, I believe firmly that we are, this is one of the most bipartisan, nonpartisan issues. It has been traditionally, and we need to get back there, so we need all your listeners' help to, to do that. Uh, it should be. I've never understood why environment is a partisan issue. It should not be. It wasn't no. for a long time. <laughs> exactly. was not. So that's nwf.org, National Wildlife Federation. Colin America, good to see you. Thanks, Thanks so much for coming here. Cameron Joseph uh, takes over now from Talking Points Memo back into politics. This is the Bill Press Show. Hey, everybody. This is Bill Press. Thanks for listening to the Bill Press and Friends podcast. And now do yourself a favor. If you haven't already done so, subscribe to the show on iTunes. Here's what you do. Just search for the Bill Press Show. Then you can take us with you and listen in anywhere you go. And you'll get new shows from us as soon as they're posted. And one more thing. If you really enjoy Bill Press and Friends, please help us grow by telling a friend, writing a review, and giving us a rating on iTunes. It's so great to have you on board. Many thanks. Giving you everything you need to fight the Trump administration. This is The Bill Press Show, live at youtube.com slash The Bill Press Show. And here we are on this Monday, Monday, November 13, uh, The Bill Press Show. With uh, Donald Trump still uh, in Asia, he's uh, wrapping up his uh, 11-day or, I don't know, two-week trip almost to Asia. It's been uh, nice to have him out of the country. It's been great to have him out of the country. And for the most part, he was behaving until uh, now over the weekend. He again made a fool of himself one more time and embarrassed all the rest of us. Uh, he'll be back Wednesday evening uh, at the White House. And Republicans still struggling on um, what to do with uh, uh, Roy Moore down in Alabama. We've uh, we got it all covered here on the uh, Bill Press Show, coming to you live from Washington, D.C., our nation's capital as always, in reaching out to you all across this uh, great land of ours with the news of the day. Uh, and remember, it's two-way street. We love hearing from you uh, and give you a chance to uh, chime in on the news of the day and uh, what you think ought to happen to Roy Moore. Let's start with that. Um, and a show of hands uh, to, uh, okay, everybody believes Roy Moore is guilty. Raise your hand. Mm. <laughs> Yeah. yeah, look at it out there. Look at it. The world. Yeah. Everybody knows. He's got up. Oh, a few hands down in Alabama. Yeah. Yeah. Come on. This is a test, Peter. 
For, were you born in South Carolina or Alabama? I was actually I was born in the South. I, I, I grew I know, up but in I, which South state? Carolina. I wasn't born in either one, but I was. Oh, but I, I grew up in South Carolina. My all my family is from Alabama. Alabama. Okay. Well, I have faith in Alabama. They're going to do the right thing and reject Roy Moore. I know that's, I'm a fool. Look, if you're if you think this is a test on whether or not Alabama will, will allow, <laughs> right. I, this might be the only test that Alabama ever passes because <laughs> they don't pass a lot of tests down there. Right. All right. Anyhow, we'll get into that. Your comments on Twitter, I was saying, are always welcome at BP Show. But first, this is the full court press. Just a couple of other stories making news. We go to Wayne, New Jersey, where the Wayne Hills Diner and Restaurant. Is a restaurant that New Jersey. in New Jersey, right. yeah, they serve mostly pizza and they have a huge craft beer selection. But one thing that they don't serve, they don't serve a lot of kids. They don't serve a lot of kids. Ooh. They have now said that if you are a child that comes in without a parent, they were going to make tips mandatory on the bill. They said that too many like groups of kids come in without a parent and they don't know like to tip their server or anything like that. So they're saying you're not allowed to come in, or if you come in, we're going to automatically put a, a gratuity on your check. And so parents have gotten a little upset with this. You know what these kids are going to do? What? They're going to dine and ditch. Yeah, they're going to dine and ditch. Yeah. So, like, what? We're talking teenagers? Yeah, like teenagers. Yeah. Yeah, teenagers. Yeah. They ought to know the tip. I mean, well, they should <laughs> know. Come on. Yeah. No, 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 no. They should know, but the point is that they're not doing it. And so they had too many complaints from the staff that these kids were coming in and not acting very well and then not tipping at the end of it all. So they're just saying, if you come in, you get a, you're going to make you tip. Like it or not, we're going to make you tip. How about this? At the end of last week, the Senate Judiciary Committee voted to approve a new judicial nominee that Donald Trump sent over. The man's name is Brett Talley. He has been appointed to a lifetime appointment on the federal bench in Alabama. Speaking of Alabama, yeah. he has very, very little qualifications. In fact, he has been completely without judicial experience. He is a blogger. He has zero trial experience. And he is now a lifetime federal judge at the age of 36. Who appointed him? Donald Trump. Get up. Donald is he Trump a Breitbart blogger? Well, no, I don't know where he no. was a blogger before. I think he ran his own thing, but he just recently got into law like a year and a half ago. But he was confirmed by the Senate? He was approved by the Senate Judiciary. So he is not a lawyer. He is not a lawyer. Chuck Grassley. The American a, Bar Association. The, switch the American Bar Association. Well, Chuck Grassley is usually yeah. asleep at the switch. But the American Bar Association rated him as not qualified. In fact, there have been six... Judicial nominees in the history of histories that have not been that have been proven not qualified. Four of them have been Trump judicial. You know what? I should apply for a judgeship. Why not? On your radio, on TV, and online. This is the Bill Press Show. Yes, indeed, Donald Trump says, yep, I know what the CIA, the FBI, the NSA, and all the other intelligence agencies say, but, yep, I don't believe them. I believe Vladimir Putin. I believe my buddy Putin. Yeah, indeed. Uh, there he is. Donald Trump uh, sort of wheels coming off the wagon over this weekend on his uh, Asian trip, uh, also saying that the... Uh, 
entire Mueller investigation is nothing but a Democratic hit job. Uh, hello, everybody. It's Monday, November 13. Hope you had a good weekend. Welcome back here to the uh, Bill Press Show as we come to you live from Washington, D.C., our nation's capital, and joining you coast to coast uh, on YouTube, of course, youtube.com slash the Bill Press Show, on the great WCPT out in Chicago, the greater Chicago area. Good to see you on the radio this morning and good to see you on television with Free Speech TV as well. Uh, with a lot uh, in the news, uh, both with Donald Trump's trip and with the mess in Alabama named Roy Moore, we welcome our good friend Cameron Joseph from Talking Points Memo back to the program. Hello, Cameron. Good to see you. Good to see you. That's a very bright purple this morning. Very nice. I felt yeah. like a big on a rainy Monday, you know? Yeah. Got to have exactly. some color in your life. Yeah, right. Yeah. Um, and, uh, yeah, I just... I had a little color. I usually wear purple, and I'm not today, so I don't know. Yeah, yeah you're usually like a pretty, like, snazzily dressed Sorry, I didn't get the guy. memo. <laughs> I feel like there can only be so much purple in a room, you know? Uh, yeah, there you go. So, uh, does Roy Moore survive? Is he going to be the next senator from Alabama? Uh, I think there's a real chance of it still. Uh, I think that the fact that we're talking about a Democrat possibly winning an Alabama Senate race is pretty amazing in and of itself, and I think that... You have to look at with everything that's happened. This is still an open question. Says a lot about where the state's politics are, and and I don't think this is just Alabama specific. Just how polarized voting is right now. Yeah. Uh, if you're a Republican, you could literally touch a 14 year old girl and still win. And I don't think this is the only state that that could happen. Uh, and you know, I think there's some states where that's probably true for Democrats at this point. Uh, but this is. Amazing to watch because so what are the even options in the, for Repo- given? I mean, the- they don't have any good options. So basically, what they have is Roy Moore has said, "Screw you guys, I'm running." By the way, and, I think we can. Uh, I, I think there are two things we can be clear of. Yeah. Sure, one is he's guilty, and the other is he's not going to get out. I mean, I I think that the, those are probably pretty likely. Both of those. <laughs> yeah, he can get out uh, of this race. Think? He can no. get out of this race. Yeah. No. there's just no way. Um, and See, he, did, he didn't need anybody's help to get into no. this race. All, all the people calling for him to, to leave win. now were the people who endorsed his primary exactly. opponent, and yeah. he crushed. And okay. I think, so you know, given that he won't get out, what do you think the options? are? So I mean, the the question, right? Clearly, the national Republicans want want to. Not just wash their hands of him, but like you know, pour some gasoline and set a flame. Uh, the local Republicans don't necessarily feel the same way, and I think that there's a real split in the Republican Party right now uh, between. And this isn't just between the folks who backed his primary opponent, because I talked to some of the folks who backed his primary opponent, who you know immediately after this were screaming at Mitch McConnell for daring say, "Well, if this is true, he needs to drop out." Which is, if this is true, is still a big factor uh, there. Uh, total, um, total. And it's a big cop out, it, it I g- think. gives them a real out. Well, he said it's not true. How can he approve 40 year old Yeah. Exactly. yeah. Um, you, from four women with multiple sources on record. Uh, but he, the locals don't feel the same way. And they were, uh, the people they were attacking when I called in, uh, including fo- some folks who had backed Luther Strange, uh, were, they're going after the women. Going after yeah, the women very sure. harshly, as always. Uh, and I'm happy to read you some quotes if you if you <laughs> don't want to have a pleasant breakfast this morning from uh, talking to some of those folks Thursday night. Uh, and they're going after McConnell, and they're basically saying like, "Get the heck out of our way! You already screwed things up. You don't know what you're doing down here, and you have no place in this." And and attacking the media. Yeah, and so what what the Republican Party could do is uh, they have two kind of not great options if they really, really, really want to get more out of this race. And one of them is to decertify their endorsement. 
and basically pull out pull their endorsement from Roy Moore. Uh, that would require the state party and the governor to do that, basically. And folks in the state party are pretty split about, from what I'm hearing, because none of the folk, like higher ups in the state party itself. Uh, are talking, but from what I'm talking to folks who are talking to them, it sounds like there's an internal fight going on about whether or not they want to do this, how bad it will look, how bad it will damage the party. Let me just understand. So you're saying, we know that some of the Senate Republicans have said we no longer endorse him. We know that the end, whatever, the Senate... Camp, not Senate Campaign Committee yeah, yeah, the NRSC, said they're not yeah. putting any more money into that, right? Right. Right. But you're saying the state party could decertify him as a nominee. Right. So they could pull out, and, and in that case, what would happen is his name would stay on the ballot, because Alabama law says within 72 yeah, days of an yeah. election, you can't get your name off the ballot. Mm-hmm. But any votes cast for him would be moot. They would be useless. So like basically it would... It so would... wouldn't that just uh, assure the election of Doug Jones? Probably. So I mean if everybody got together and said he's not our guy, we're all getting behind this other candidate, here's this wonderful write-in candidate, right. and everybody pulled the same direction. In Alabama we could see you know, Roy Moore getting 12% of moot votes and then the remainder of the votes. Republican could still win that race. Yes. Not an impossibility. Could Luther uh, Strange... So that's the question. And the folks up here are talking about Luther Strange, uh, who is the guy who Roy Moore beat uh, in a primary a couple of weeks ago. And then I, I happened to be there when they had a very awkward coffee shop interaction recently. Oh, that's right. We uh, talked about that. Yeah. And, whoa, whoa, but, whoa, whoa, whoa. Tell me. Oh, you? That's yeah. right. You, uh, Jeff Sessions, I, when they walked by. Yeah, so I, I, I got a tip. Roy, oh, Roy Moore yeah. was up in the Senate and like everyone was like rushing him there. And then I like I got a tip that he was over in Cups, this coffee shop in uh, Senate office building. I know Cups well. He was yeah. having a meeting. So I went over there and went to try and talk to him. And. They like they didn't want to talk about what I want to talk about for you know not shockingly, but they're having a meeting, so they're like, "We'll talk to you after the meeting." I was like, "Okay, I'll I'll give you the you'll no comment my story later." So I waited around for like a few minutes, and yeah. I, was, I ended up waiting an hour because they have these long meetings. But I was just kind of standing like fly on the wall in the coffee shop, and Luther Strange comes in for coffee, and is checking out, and you I see him just look at. More like freeze at the coffee at the oh, register. It, 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 was, it was like cafeteria. You have a fight with your friend yeah, and you're trying right, to avoid. Yeah. It's, uh, it's so he like great all over again. He checks out and he awkward. comes out from and he does this like very like awkward path where he kind of like makes a right and then makes a U turn immediately so he can like be looking the other direction as he goes <laughs> by Moore's table and like passes within like three feet of Roy Moore. No, and like is kind of like studiously like turning his head around and like keeping I, in I, mind that Luther yeah. Strange is a giant human. Yeah, no, Luther Strange has got a head on me. I'm six four. Luther Strange, I think, is like six nine. <gasps> Big boy, yeah. um, and goes and like and he can't just even escape because he has to get his cream for his coffee. So he has to stop <laughs> six feet away and like stops and, and fills up his coffee. I, I can show you the photos. This is probably not 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 radio friendly, but um, and then leaves. And I like I follow him into the hallway. I was like, hey, do you did you, you didn't want to say hi to Roy Moore? Uh, and, and he and he looks like, oh, I, I didn't I didn't know he was in there. I was like, oh yeah, he's sitting right there, like twelve feet away. Like he's like, oh, I didn't even realize. And he kept walking. I was like, oh, do you want to like. Like say hi, and he's like, just half shook his head and just kept walking. I almost felt bad for him because it was like really, <laughs> really awkward. And like he here's like it. national media reporter like taking and photos Moore of him as he does this. Didn't take an uh, a, 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 the opportunity to embarrass him. I'm, by I'm saying not hello. positive that Moore saw him. I'm yeah. almost positive that he saw Moore. 
Um, it was it was Aki's. But he uh, is the guy so. they're talking about as a possible write-in candidate. Okay. The problem with that is... He lost before. Well, he lost before, and half the reason he lost before was because of this kind of corrupt party establishment taint. Uh, because he had been appointed, he he'd been the attorney general investigating the former sitting governor who has now been forced to resign yes. and is facing <laughs> probable possible prison time for that. some really corrupt stuff uh, with with an affair that he had using official state stuff, uh, state money to carry on that affair. Uh, and he had been the guy investigating the governor, and then the governor appointed him for this open senate seat. Which, honestly, if he had just run in that race without getting that appointment, I think there's a good chance he won. Because people don't love Roy Moore down there. I mean, there, there's people who ra- rabidly love Roy Moore. But even within the Republican Party, there's yeah. a lot of people who are like, geez, this guy. Yeah. And he, I think, would have had a real shot. And he you know, came within 10 points with Mitch McConnell's help. Uh, but basically what hap- how that played out was... You know the fact that that this corrupt form, this corrupt governor on his way out put him in the seat, and Mitch McConnell spent ten million dollars destroying his two primary opponents, or trying to, only helped Roy Moore and made it impossible uh, for for Strange to win, and so that's how we got Roy Moore. Partially because I uh, I think frankly there were three guys in that race, and and McConnell decided, well, if I'm going to get Strange through, I need to destroy this guy who's weaker first. And make sure Strange gets in the runoff, and then he can face off against Moore, and we'll worry about that then. And they right. destroyed this congressman, Mo, Mo Rooks, who would have been a pain in McConnell's side, but he wouldn't have been Roy Moore. Right. Yeah. And right. and if they just let things lie, it would have been Brooks, and they could have supported Brooks and like played a game there, um, where Brooks and McConnell would have been friendly enough, and they would have been able to avoid Moore as the nominee. All but right. now so they're he, kind of stuck with them. All right. So here's my yeah. scenario. So you're saying that Luther, it would, what I read, it would be tough for Luther Strange to win a right. Yeah, they're talking Not about impossible. Bob Adderholt as another option as a congressman. How about Jeff Sessions? I mean, I, it's a possibility. I don't. I think See, that, that, that maybe that's my, I yeah, Jeff Sessions that. is a write-in candidate for his old seat. Yeah, that's my power play. Is they? I get, mean, they delay the election, get Jeff Sessions to to. It would to solve a, a lot write-in. of problems. He could for, win. He could win. He could win. Um, and I think that would be. I mean, a it, w- it would give Sessions an out. Yeah. Uh, B yeah. I think it would solve some of the White House's problems uh, in terms of being able to get rid of a guy that a lot of folks in the White House, or at least you know, right. Trump doesn't love. Yeah. Um, but I, I I would be very so shocked if to see he that happen, if he but, sticks it in it st- sticks in there, which we think he's <laughs> where going you're to. going I'm there. Sorry. Yeah. And if he um, <laughs> if he is elected. Then, can the Senate refuse to seat him? They can. I mean, how do they do that? The Republican caucus. It would take a a sixty-seven vote uh, floor wide. They would have to on the floor. They would have. They would. I think the technically. I I haven't looked too far into this, but my understanding is, I think they would have to technically seat him, have an ethics investigation, and and eject him from the Senate. And I think the last time this happened was Bob Packwood, who Mitch McConnell, very interestingly, pointed out. Uh, unprompted that he'd voted to expel Bob Packwood when yes. all of yes. his awful predatory sex stuff came out about 20, 20 uh, years ago, uh, maybe 25. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so the fact that he's even floating that, you know, Mitch McConnell, it, like mm-hmm. listening to him is like reading tea leaves in a language, in a different language, you know? So like you kind of have to read between the lines on him. And I think that was suggesting that he's at least open to that. But uh at this point, they're trying to figure out a way to keep more out of the Senate. And honestly, like if I'm Mitch McConnell and I'm looking at the options of, well, we can try and keep our 
hands a little cleaner of of Moore and risk Doug Jones being elected, um, he might be okay with that. Because I mean, D- Doug Jones is you know he's a pretty liberal Democrat, especially for Alabama. But you know, is he going to vote for a tax bill? Maybe. You know, is he going to vote for gun control? Probably, Probably. not. I, I mean, like he's he's surprisingly like very. Uh, traditionally liberal on a lot of things, including abortion. But yeah, um, without you know having more in there for four years is a headache. I mean, if, if looking right. at like Ted Cruz and Rand Paul, if you think those have been his headaches, like th- this is like oh, a stage three migrant. Yeah, we right. talked about this before. If you, if you didn't like Ted Cruz and the way that he treated Republicans, just wait until you see Roy Moore. Yeah. Like Ted Cruz acts so, like he thinks God is talking to him. Roy Moore actually believes God is talking <laughs> right, to him. Right, right, uh, right. And and doesn't really have a a conceptual view of the Constitution or basic law so, that is in line with any of the other 99 senators. So Politico reports this morning, uh, Steve Shepard, on the latest uh, poll down there. And yeah. after Virginia, why should we believe polls at all or after <laughs> Donald Trump? But the JMC poll, which uh, Steve says is a Republican-leaning poll, shows Jones up four points, yeah. 48 to 44. Uh, so it's conceivable that Jones could win. Yeah, right. I, I mean, I think where we are right now is kind of where we were after any of Donald Trump's terrible kerfuffles where all of a sudden he was down. And then I think we'll probably see things calm down a little bit and it tighten up a little bit. Like this is probably like the the, the height of that spike and it'll probably dip a little bit. Um, and granted, you know, every time D- Donald Trump had a terrible news week that sh- in normal circumstances would have gotten, you know, killed his campaign, Hillary Clinton then had one to follow yeah, up, which right. helped keep. Things but keep, still, you know, but, look where he is. Yeah, I mean, then yeah. it's the thing is, it's like this is Alabama. This is the state that has uh, the last time I checked, uh, Donald Trump has his third highest approval rating in the country. It's still in the mid fifties, and it basically in Alabama, the only reliable Democratic voters are the Black Democratic voters, and the you know very very small uh, liberal white vote uh, in places like Birmingham and, and Montgomery uh, and Mobile, but. Most of the state is very conservative, and and it's always been very conservative, and now that is basically uh, – it's got the highest racial polarization besides Mississippi in the country in terms of how you vote, and that you saw that especially during the Obama and Clinton elections. Uh, so it's not like there's a ton of swing voters here, and so Doug Jones to win is going to need ungodly turnout from Democrats and a lot Could. of Republicans, and I think there's a chance that this is going to happen um, – and that's a, an amazing thing that he's even close. But I think people who are assuming that Roy Moore is going to continue to plummet, I'm not so confident. But so the polls right now show could Donald close. Trump yeah. make a difference? So far, Trump has really yeah uh, been skating us, and you know I can't, I haven't had he's time to think country. about he's, it. Yeah. I'm out of the country. I'll look into it yep. when I get back. You yep. know that kind of thing. Could he make a difference? Yeah, and I think that's the biggest question right now is is what Donald Trump and the White House decide to do on this because he is the president and he controls the base. And if Donald Trump comes out and says, and, and the thing is like the, the levels of, of hypocrisy that, that will have to be there. Oh, yeah. <laughs> um, but if Donald Trump yeah. says like for what he did, he needs to drop out and get, because that's the thing is I, I think what's, what's, what everyone's waiting on right now, and I think especially the state party are waiting on is, is a signal from the White House because – I think there's a lot of folks in more establishment wing of the GOP in Alabama, Governor Kay Ivey, Richard Shelby already has, has been out there on this, yeah, Yes, um, that want him gone. There's a lot of other folks, I think, in the state that see this getting worse and worse and seeing Alabama just be totally embarrassed. And I think people in Alabama are very sensitive to like being the national laughingstock because they're used to being the national laughingstock and they really don't like that. 
especially when they give actual reason for it. Um, but at the same time, there's a lot of folks in the state who are defending him, uh, including you know, the Secretary of State, uh, Perry Hupper is like very, you know, the, 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 the two right. folks who, who ran Trump's campaign in Alabama were both defending more as of Thursday when I talked to them. Uh, so if the White House throws him under the bus, I think we can actually see a push for a write-in candidate. If the White House stays silent or even worse, you know, like what Kellyanne Conway was saying on the yeah, air, yeah. Uh, kind of quasi-defense. Mark Short saying, you know, yeah. serious charges, but we need to give him time to defend himself, right? Right. And I think they're going to get, I, I think they're playing wait and see a little bit here. Uh, I think when Donald Trump gets back, it's going to be very interesting to see because they won't be able to avoid this any longer mm-hmm. or put it off any longer. Um, but I think this is going to fester for a few days before the White House sends any signals. And if the White House isn't going to go along with this, and with Donald Trump being as unpredictable he is, he could tweet, "Why is the state party meddling and you know pulling out yeah. of whatever?" So it could be. I think it's going to come down to work. Right, so this is this is the the nature of our news cycle these days. Yeah. Um, that we're so consumed now with what we've just been talking about, Roy Moore and the impact, blah 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 blah, that we've sort of glossed over. What happened last Tuesday, which was mm-hmm. uh, they call it the blue wave, right? Yeah. Uh, and then, so we had one day to talk about that before the Roy Moore barely, story broke. Yeah. Right? Barely, it's like hoping right. for like another like yeah, an easy but day. But how at the do end you the assess the impact of the blue wave on uh, the Republicans' ability to get a tax cut bill through Congress, which you've been writing about, or or in Donald Trump's standing or influence, um, you know, in national politics, yeah. and particularly with the future of the Republican Party. Yeah. I think that what we saw last Tuesday, it was obviously a very, very, very good night that signals some very big things for Democrats in 2018 and scares the heck out of especially some suburban Republicans. I think it, there's two things that you need to see here is first that the blue wave is very, very real and the rejection of Trump is very, very real. But secondly, that it is very... I, I wouldn't say confined to the suburbs, but much stronger in suburban, better educated areas than in in more rural, downscale areas, which is where Donald Trump really changed the map. And so yeah. I think what we're seeing is, is we've seen about, I mean, really 30 plus years. And if you really want to go back to the 70s and early in the 60s, like this realignment where better educated wealthier areas are realigning with Democrats and downscale white populist areas are realigning with Republicans. And you saw like the only part of the map that Ed Gillespie did better in Virginia than uh, in previous years is that Southwest coal country, rural, white Hmm. Trump territory, uh, which is the only area that Trump had done better than previous GOP. It's funny because that's not Ed Gillespie's natural territory. No, it really isn't. I mean, like Ed Gillespie (laughs) is like the Northern Virginia, formerly big tent guy who, you know, had and, and he almost lost the primary because of the same areas. So uh, it's notable that I, yeah, I think Democrats are, are poised for some really, really big gains. The thing is they need to do yes and. And right now they're they're clearly poised for huge wins in the suburbs. And that matters more to the House and the Senate because that, those are where the, those suburban trending districts that gerrymandering is wearing out and they really have a shot in places like California and Texas and New Jersey. Uh, but the Senate map is very different. The Senate map is a lot of these Democrats in populist blue-collar states that some of them won fluky races last time around, and they're going to need to really clean up. And granted, these are very good candidates running in tough states that have already proved they can win there. And I think mm-hmm. clearly the win is the Democrats back in general. So, like, you know, if you're John Tester or Heidi Heitkamp, you're probably feeling pretty good what this year is looking like. But there's no guarantee. And if they're going to actually 
you know, some of these governor's races too, like really have like not just have like a blue wave, but like the type of tsunami that's actually they would need to retake the House to have a shot at winning the Senate to really win a lot of governor's mansions. Um, right now, it's very, very clear to me that the suburbs are going to be good for Democrats. I think basically what whatever happens over the next year. Um, and the question is the other part of the map. And the question is, is whether they can win back some of these ancestrally Democratic areas. Right. So uh, b- b- with Republicans have to be thinking, too, looking at Donald Trump with Luther Strange in Alabama, Donald Trump. Not that he did not campaign for Gillespie because Gillespie didn't want him. Right. But he endorsed well, him and he did the robocall, whatever. Yeah, tweets and So they're looking tweets. at, uh, you know, they must be thinking about, okay, in 2018, do I run with Trump yep. or do I run aw- away from Trump? Yeah, and it's going to tie a lot of these guys in knots. And I think you're seeing that. Um, I mean, I, 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 ta- I did a couple stories. I, we were, I was in like early, mid last summer talking about this here was that the worst case scenario for for Republicans is if they end up owning Donald Trump in the suburbs and they end up owning Paul Ryan's policies in these more blue collar areas. And right now that's happening. Right yeah, now that's happening. Yeah. Right now we are looking at the the suburban repulsion to Donald Trump and Trumpism, as you saw with the Ed Gillespie race baiting mm-hmm. ads, really, really hurt them in Virginia. And it wasn't just there. They they won in a Washington, important Washington seat. They won these Georgia seats they haven't won in a long time in New York. Um but the Paul Ryan policies, and we really saw that with health care, like they're going to take away your health care to give a tax cut for the rich argument. The Democrats won uh, with the Obamacare repeal. And now the tax reform argument, I think it's still a little murky who's going to win, but Democrats seem to be winning that argument right now. Um, and we're looking at these suburban Republicans are, are especially vulnerable because a lot of them are blue but states. But Republicans yeah. seem determined to pass some kind of a tax bill before the end of the year, and it's yeah. going to be tax cuts for, no, no matter what's in it, most of the benefit is going to go to the wealthiest Americans and the big corporations. Right, right? And, and then that's what the plan is. And, that, and yeah. House and I mean, Senate are not... different plans, but those, that's the goal of both plans, right. and how right. they get there, right. and who they, you know, whose taxes they raise mm-hmm. to make that happen is a different question. But that, and that's hugely problematic to sell. The problems for them is twofold on that, is clearly like this is going to be an unpopular bill no matter how it plays, I think. Um, and you know that that's far from certain, but right now it's not looking good. But if they don't get this done, two things happen. First, and they've been saying this out loud, or they've been saying the, the quiet part loud. Uh, Chris Collins and some other uh, Republicans are talking about how their donors aren't going to give if they can't get tax cuts done. Yeah, and that's some small donors, but they're basically talking about the Koch brothers and the big donors and the fix the folks who really want to see this done. You see, the Koch brothers and the Ricketts are spending a ton of money. Uh, on ads right now to try and make this pun more popular, they're airing across the country millions of dollars, which is so. You got yeah. we've given you a year. You didn't get you didn't yeah. appeal Obamacare, and if you can't get a tax cut, we're not going to give you right. any more money because you don't know what the hell you're doing. The fact right. that so, the so fact there, there's, there's the second came out and said that like it yeah. was amazing. It's just a totally yeah. different time for politics. Yeah, and, and he's not the only one. I'm forgetting what Senator said. Lindsey Graham said it. Yeah, Lindsey Graham, Graham said it flat out. Uh, yeah. The other factor that I don't think anyone's really considering is there has been a huge run on the stock market right now. The stock market's been climbing and climbing and climbing. And I'm not an econ guy, but the econ reporters I've talked to say a lot of what's being driven by that is there were a lot of folks, 
assuming that tax cuts were going to happen yes. and the infrastructure yes. plan were going to yes. happen. Oh, yes. And yes. so there is this bubble that's built up in the stock yes. market right. because of this tax cut plan that they still assume is going to happen. If that doesn't happen, I think we see the stock market drop. I think we may – I don't know if we see a recession, but I think we see the economy start I, not looking so good, which hurts Republicans in the election. So they're, they're right. in right. trouble no matter what they do here. Yeah. I had lunch with a uh, financial advisor – uh, not mine, but, but but a big guy in this market, and uh, he he said that a lot of same same thing you just said that the market has been building on anticipation of a tax cut. Yeah. If it doesn't come, he's I said recession. He said no correction. We'll call it a correction. Yeah. Well, and I think that's right because <laughs> but, it's, it's ridiculous know. where the where the stocks yeah. are right now, yeah. and it's built yeah. on these these false yeah. assumptions that. Um, I think are I mean, and it just shows what 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 a stupid game the stock market can be that that totally. people who don't really understand politics assuming that policies are going to happen because politicians say them all of a sudden are are valuing things at, at absurd levels uh, but that a that's going to hurt a lot of people and I, I yes. think that can't be overlooked yeah. that still hurt people's 401ks this is a bad thing um, but politically it's not good going into a recession if you're the par- oh, sole party in controlling power yeah. we've seen that time and time and time again that it's the economy stupid and so. I think that they're really in, in a tough situation here. Yeah. Uh, just one final question before we let you go. So um, the Russian investigation, uh, which Donald Trump dismissed over the weekend again as a Democratic hit job, I think was that phrase. I wrote it down. An artificial Democratic yep. uh, hit job. You kind of get the feeling that even though he dismisses it, they're still worried about it at the White House, aren't they? Yes. I mean, they're very worried they gotta about be. the White House. I don't know how they, they wouldn't be. This is consuming almost everything that they do, and it's hugely problematic for them. And I think we see with the Mueller investigation going the way it is, uh, it's just it's going to be a really tricky situation for them. And, I, you know, we'll see what they have. I mean, it, it looks like to me Mueller's I mean, getting some stuff yeah, that we're going to yeah. see the other possible rack of shoes drop. Uh, and I think they're they're very nervous about right. this. I mean, I, it seems to me you could dismiss it as a Democratic hit job until before Manafort, Gates, and George Papadopoulos. And I think Papadopoulos is the biggest piece in that right now, honestly. I, yeah. uh, and I think the yeah. way that they dropped that was to make that make them as jittery as possible. Yeah. And so I, yeah, I, I mean, look, I, I, who knows when that's going to roll out? What exactly they have? But that was one of those things that that a year ago I wasn't sure whether this is going to go anywhere, even when they put Mueller yeah. in. And now it's, I think, a question of when and how bad as opposed to if. Right. Uh, Actually, we'll talk a little bit more about that on the other side of the break here. Um, Cameron Joseph here with us as a friend of Bill for the entire hour. Uh, Jessica Schulberg joins us at the table here coming up, a foreign affairs reporter from HuffPost. Take a quick break. We'll be right back with this Monday edition of the Bill Press Show. I think the country is ready to move on off of this and focus on important issues. Download our podcast, search for The Bill Press Show on iTunes, and remember to rate, review, and subscribe. This is The Bill Press Show. Same great show, new great channel. Stream live video at youtube.com slash the Bill Press Show. Here we go on this Monday, November 13, wrapping up the Bill Press Show with lots to talk about. Donald Trump are continuing uh, his tour of uh, Asia, and now with our, in our former colony 
uh, the Philippines and cozying up to the uh, admitted murderer, uh, who's the president of the Philippines today, uh, President Duterte. Uh, and meanwhile, uh, Republicans struggling with two problems here at home, uh, whether or not they can get their tax cut bill passed and what they can do about um, throwing Roy Moore overboard. Um, we're brought to you today by the Laborers International Union of North America, the Laborers Union, uh, Building a Better America today. That's their website, LIUNA, L-I-U-N-A, Builds America. Uh, check it out. We thank them and President uh, Terry O'Sullivan for their uh, good work and their support of the program. Cameron Joseph from Talking Points Memo here is a friend of Bill for the entire hour, joined by Jessica Schulberg now from HuffPost, foreign affairs reporter. Hi, Jessica. Hello. Nice to see you. Cameron, good to have you here. And uh, uh, Jamie Benson and Peter Ogbert rounding out the... Uh, Hey, hey. The tour here. Here we go. So uh, this trip in Asia seemed to be going along relatively non-controversial until this weekend, Jessica. What happened? Was Donald Trump just tired or he got tired of behaving? I, I really liked, I think it was Mark Landler, kind of did the New York Times write-up, and that's exactly how he characterized it. You know, Trump read his script, he was on good behavior all week, and then as soon as the weekend hit, he just went bananas on Twitter. And and Mark Landler asked the same question, is he tired? Did, is it because Melania went home and Melania has this sort of moderating influence on him? But it was just one of those times where you really, really feel like we're talking about the president of the United States as if he's a two-year-old. Yeah. Um, but yeah, it was. It was Saturday morning. We all wake up. I don't know if you guys still have the Donald Trump tweeted alerts on your phone. Oh, yeah. But I do. It's a great way to start your weekend. Awesome when he's in like 12 time zones over. Yeah, yeah. exactly. Oh, no. I, I, every, <laughs> I get the first thing I see on my phone in the every morning of the Donald Trump tweet. You don't set an alarm anymore. Yeah. yeah. I have to tell you something. I got off of Twitter. Best thing I ever oh, did. God. I don't have to see that crap anymore. Man. So he says, yeah. among yeah, right. among <laughs> other things, right? That when it comes to, well, Jamie, we've got a little um, sound here from Donald Trump talking about Vladimir Putin. Putin says uh, he didn't do it, and I believe Vladimir Putin. I believe that President Putin really feels, and he feels strongly, that he did not meddle in our election. So therefore, great. I believe him. We're good. Yeah. Putin looks me in the eye and says, I didn't do it, and Donald Trump, oh, it's good enough for me. Yep, can stop all this Russia investigation yeah. stuff. Right. Thank God that's over. Yeah, that was a real pain in the butt. <laughs> <laughs> so what does this mean for his relationship with the intelligence agencies? Uh, I mean, I don't know how much more he really could piss off the intelligence community, to be honest. He has a pretty strong ally in Mike Pompeo, um, who is inherently more political than a lot of previous CIA directors. Um, but aside from that, I mean, all the career intel people are just so frustrated. Um, DNI Director Coates has been pretty much out of the picture, does not speak in public much. His predecessor, Clapper, sort of took it upon himself to be the face of the intelligence community. Um, and he sort of set the tone for how the entire intelligence community interacted and was dealing with yeah. the president. Um, and Coates has just sort of sat that one out, which you can sort of take his silence as a, a sign of frustration. Um, Cameron, let me, uh, so uh, John Brennan, former CIA director, uh, was on State of the Union yesterday on CNN. Let me just play, hear what he says and get your reaction but, from both of you. But It demonstrates to Mr. Putin that uh, uh, Donald Trump can be played by foreign leaders who are going to appeal to his ego and to try to play upon his insecurities, which is very, very uh, worrisome from a national security standpoint. 
Uh, don't you think? I think that's just absolutely true. I think it's what we've seen this trip was that Donald Trump still, and I don't know why anyone would be surprised by this, lacks the discipline uh, to a continue with, with whatever his own advisors are telling him to do, and and b uh, actually like keep focus for more than a few minutes at a time on some stuff. And you see this happen time and again, where Donald Trump for a few days seems like, okay, maybe you don't like what he's saying, but at least he's following a playbook. And then he, you know, gets a few minutes by himself with TV and, and his uh, Twitter machine and it's all over again. And I think that, I mean, this is, yeah, I did a story about a week ago because it's the one year anniversary of his election about all the, all the things that he's undone and the things right. that are like deeply damaging. And the two things that I, th- I think are the longest lasting um, are the courts, obviously, which which we don't need to get into, right. but 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 this this just kind of unwinding of uh, democratic norms and the rule of law and what he does, it just just whimsically haphazardly, I think uh, is is super complicating for for foreign policy and right. undoes American power. So when he has this in his hand, right, he's tough and he's insulting and he's everything. But remember, in the campaign, he went down to see the president of Mexico and demand that the guy was going to pay for the fence. And he didn't even talk about it. Yeah. At least according to the... He doesn't like confrontation. Right. Person. According to the yeah. president of Mexico, he didn't even raise the issue. Yeah. He's and gonna... he wants to be liked so badly. He's right. So yes, yes for exactly. That's what Putin I'm getting says, to. Hey, I just want to be your friend. Let's, let's cooperate right. on Syria. Let's cooperate on North Korea. Like, here's a man, yeah. Trump, who is extremely emotional. He's extremely reactive. He trusts his instincts to an absurd level. And he's facing off with a former KGB agent right. <laughs> who's yeah. looking at this guy, like no, watching him backtrack on so McCain many says, demands you and You believe the KGB guy over mm-hmm. our CIA guy? I mean, right. hello. But so again, the confrontation with Putin. He says he raised this issue with Putin. The Putin people say he didn't even talk about right. it. Then he meets with Duterte, who bragged over the weekend he killed his first person when he was fifteen. Yep. And and Donald Trump says, and I talked to him about human rights, and the Duterte people said. He never raised when? the issue. Yeah. Well, and, and that's the thing. Whether or not he, he could did, meet with Kim Jong-un and probably give him a kiss on the lips. Well, but, I mean, the Duterte thing is interesting because I don't know whether to believe Duterte or Trump. What's which that? is, uh, I don't know whether to believe Duterte or Trump. Well, about that says Trump's something, role. doesn't yeah, it? Yeah, I mean, just, just that fact, I think, is is startling. And it's funny, but, like, we can't overlook the fact that and, – and that, and that says a lot about, I think, where America's position in the world is, that, like, we don't know whether the, the this routine lying – Tin pot dictator in the Philippines who who's killing drug users in mass is telling the truth, or whether Donald Trump is telling the truth, because we can't trust what our own president says now. And if we can't, you think that any other world powers have any faith in that he's going to live up to his word and that he follow through in his promises? Like this is hurting American power in a way that is insidious and problematic. And I and I think that uh, I don't see how it gets any better as long as Trump is president. Right. And uh, so meanwhile, Jessica, it looks like on two fronts over the weekend, so the 11 nations that were left in the TPP at this summit where Donald Trump is, he's there, we're not part of it anymore. So they all said, oh, okay, we're going <laughs> off on our own. We're, we're, we're just doing our own trade deal. Meanwhile, in Bonn, Germany, every freaking country on the planet except the United States says, we're going ahead with the climate change, with including the Paris Accords, including yeah. Syria and Nicaragua. Right. So we're the only ones out. So it looks like the rest of the world is basically saying, maybe to your point, right? Well, fine, you do what you want. We're going to 
continue without you. Which is which doesn't say much for American leadership, does it? It doesn't. I actually sort of think it's almost a best case scenario. I think it, it's bad for the U.S. It's bad for American influence and power, and it'll have a lasting effect on our ability to sort of influence the outcome of events globally. Um, but the other alternative is that in the absence of American power, everything collapses. So there's a part of me that's sort of reassured to see our European and Asian allies sort of taking the lead on these very important issues like climate change, um, like trade agreements. I think we might see something similar with the Iran nuclear deal if um, hmm. yeah, either right. Congress or the president does Good something point. to sort of scrap the U.S. involvement in it. You know, the U.S. was so involved in cobbling together that agreement, but I don't think there's much indication that U.S. withdrawal would tank the deal. I think the Europeans and the Russians and the Chinese and the Iranians see the benefits of it. They see the U.S. as sort of in this crazy period in which they might not be a constructive partner or ally for the time being, and they're not going to let that hold them back. Right. Um, so the um, meanwhile, the other thing that Donald Trump talked about over the weekend was the um, Mueller investigation. Cameron and I talked a little bit about in the last half hour where Donald Trump called it an artificial democratic hit job, mm-hmm. right? Right. Um, who's next in this artificial democratic hit job? Dang Michael it. Flynn, Michael Carter Flynn, Page. Michael Flynn's son, Carter Page. Man, if there is ever Donald anybody Trump Jr. who needed a lawyer, it is Carter Page. I mean, I just Seriously. cannot get over how badly that man needs a lawyer to walk him through his seven-hour testimony before well, the like, House Intelligence I, I, Committee. I, I, wild. Seeing how often he's gone out in front of the media and uh-huh. given interviews, I was thinking yeah. to myself, yeah. he's got to be innocent. Because sure, he's either innocent or he is innocent. completely insane mm-hmm. and one of the dumbest people we've ever seen. But now that like there, there's more and more linking him to this story, I'm just thinking, oh, maybe he just is that stupid. Maybe he's just that dumb. I've never seen any witness talk the way he does. I mean, and he's, he's just you know, like stream of thought. Like he offers yeah. up information that ne- wasn't necessarily asked of him. Which, right. You know, when you're ensnared in this kind of criminal, corrupt, foreign yeah. influence peddling investigation, you say as little as possible because you don't want to incriminate yourself. Um, I, I empathize with the the concern that you don't want to leave anything out and then later be accused of withholding information. But this was just unreal <laughs> reading through that transcript that well, was released last and week. It's just like... You know, he does that when he does national TV right. hits. This isn't right. even when no. he's like un- uh, deposed under, under oath. oath. Yeah. This yeah. is just when he's like riffing with Jake Tapper right. on CNN. Uh-huh. Uh, and I think, I mean, I, I forget if it was, it was Brennan or Clapper early on who said, like, some of these people may not have known they were committing treason. Like, mm-hmm. kind of implying, like, maybe they aren't that smart. Right. Maybe they've kind of backed into this. And I think that uh, this may be the case where. Some people, and we've already seen a lot of things that that kind of are are, are walking up to that line of, is this legal? Is this treasonous? Mm-hmm. Uh, in terms of some of these planned meetings and con- and you know open question about that, uh, and, but you know you don't have to be a genius to do it. And that's the thing is, is like the question is is like whether there's like the, this this great plot within the Trump campaign or whether these are a bunch of dudes flying by the seats of their pants who got played by the Russians. Mm-hmm. I think is. I, I tend to lean towards the latter, really, on that. And it doesn't mean that some people in, individually weren't super corrupt, but I think a lot of people were just like, oh, sure, someone can help us? Oh, right, they're Russian? Know. Okay, cool. Yeah. Um, and so I think that that's going to be the hardest thing to stick at the end of the day is like, were, were these guys, did these guys know what the heck they were doing or were they were just stooges? And I, I genuinely hope, Carter, that you are innocent of everything. Because you're doing a lot of talking. Yeah. Uh, I'm hoping it, it, it's, either, it's either uh, admirably bold or, or, yeah. or, 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 or reckless. <laughs> a good summation. Chris Hayes, yeah. <laughs> mentioning that to Carter Page. Uh, is there any doubt 
or do you believe, uh, Jessica, that Michael Flynn is cooperating now with Robert Mueller? I mean, it, it, we know it was a couple of weeks ago that somebody leaked, and there haven't been many leaks mm-hmm. from the Mueller operation, but somebody leaked that Michael Flynn and his son, mm-hmm. that they had the goods on them. Right. I mean, why would they have leaked that other than to put some pressure on? I mean, Mike Flynn, I think in a lot of ways, uh, there's a lot of similarities between his situation and Manafort, which is that you don't have to prove um, collusion with the Russians or passing back and forth damaging information about Hillary Clinton to put these guys behind bars. I mean, there's a lot of other sketchy business deals that could really land those guys in a lot of trouble especially if Mike Flynn was planning to secretly kidnap um, a, a cleric and ship him back to Turkey. By the way, that is it's unbelievable. It's yeah. unbelievable. Um, so if that's the case, and, and among other kind of sketchy business deals um, between Flynn and his Turkish partners, uh, there is a lot of reason to believe that he doesn't want to be facing prison time for that. Right. My biggest question is, Manafort doesn't strike me as someone who is super loyal to Trump or anyone else. He's looking out for himself and he's looking out for his political gains. I've never quite understood what motivates Michael Flynn. You know, this guy was working under the Obama administration at the top post of the Defense Intelligence Agency um, before he was pushed out and then seemed to have gotten radicalized over time. And he did adopt this ideology that's very similar to Donald Trump saying that it's reasonable to fear Muslims and all these kind of far-right descriptions of radical Islamic terrorism. But it's never been quite clear to me how much he actually jives with Trump personally and how much mm. he would be willing to sacrifice his or his son's own freedom or well-being for this this president or his campaign. You know, I think, Cameron, when you – I've not been in this situation, but when you're facing a prison term, I think loyalty – it's kind of it's time to redefine it. I mean, there, there's, there's <laughs> no the, the prisoner's dilemma, right? I mean, I, I think this is, is yeah, it's it's deeply problematic, and I think that I mean we'll, we'll see how dark this gets. But who are you more scared of the the federal government or the Russians for some of these people? Uh, but I I do think that yeah I think that 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 Mueller is is very effectively squeezing these guys, and I think it was interesting to see how they rolled out the last indictments because mm-hmm. they. It wasn't just Manafort. It was Manafort and Gates, and they basically charged Gates with everything they charged Manafort mm-hmm. with. And I think that was a move to pressure Gates to try and get Gates to flip. Because I honestly, I, I think he probably has seen some of this stuff, but um, he's clearly not the fish they're after here. Uh, and they're trying to flip everyone up. Uh, and they're trying and, to show that no matter how key you are to this whole ordeal, you could get ensnared in it. This yeah. isn't just the key players that need to be worried about. Right, exactly. And so, uh, you know, and, and then they, they waited and they dropped the Papadopoulos thing. And, and very interesting, and, and Tierney Sneed at Talking Points Memo wrote about this. I don't know if you guys noticed when the cutoff was about what they talked about Papadopoulos had exposed. Because it was basically they, they talked about what he talked about and what he told them and the timeline up until the Republican National Convention, mm-hmm. which, if you remember, was when he was involved and Manafort th- reportedly was involved with reshaping the Republican National Convention platform mm-hmm. to basically make it Russia friendly and take out criticism of what they're right. doing in the Ukraine. So right. uh, it it is really notable to me where they stopped and what they've left out and what was left unsaid in that, because I think that there is a lot that happened at the RNC when Sergei Kislyak was at the RNC meeting with some of these top-level Trump people. Mm-hmm. Uh, including that, Jeff Sessions. Including mm-hmm. Jeff Sessions. Uh, that I think we might see in the courtroom soon. And I think that was very telling. Right. 
Um, on another front, the foreign policy front, and you may not have touched on this, so um, you can admit that you haven't if that's the case. <laughs> but um, I think the New York Times reports this morning that uh, Jared Kushner has the answer to peace in the Middle East that nobody else has been able to solve, that he's come up with a new plan and uh, they're about to unveil it and lo and behold, I, it's going to be a different world. I don't know how he's had time to come up with this between all of his midnight rendezvous with the crown prince in Saudi Arabia. Um, uh, but if that's the case, then then we, I look forward to seeing it. Uh, by the way, has he, he's talked to Mueller too, right? I believe so. Didn't we see that last week? Was that tracking my so. head? Yeah, but I, mean, I don't know how you. If he hasn't yet, he will. Oh, yeah. Oh, no doubt about that. Right. right. But I still find it unbelievable that that the guy who has zero foreign policy experience, mm-hmm. right? They put in charge of the most complicated foreign policy issue of our lifetime. Right. I can't. I can never decide if that's an indication of Trump really caring a lot about this issue that he dispatched his son-in-law, somebody really close relationship mm-hmm. with to deal with this issue, or if he just knows it's completely unrealistic, so he doesn't even bother getting somebody with actual um, Middle East experience to try to handle this. I'm excited to see when uh, Kushner gets indicted by Mueller and Trump and Ivanka are like, Jared who? Jared, we have no idea who this guy is. You know, he has nothing to do with us. When like Trump has put him out there as being the leader on Mexico, Canada, so many different things. I, I, don't, I mean, I don't know. Like, they're so stuck with because there's, there's a family loyalty, and if Kushner flips on you, you know you're cooked. Oh yeah. Also, right. yeah. they're like Kushner. I think is a legitimately loyal person, and I think that you saw how he did with his dad when he was in prison. Uh, I think Trump is is somebody who's going to be forced to be very loyal here, and and and, and to his credit, he's been loyal to family if no one else. Yeah. So Except I think it's going to be. Oh, poor Tiffany. the family he's picked. Yeah. yeah. Um, I, I think it, it's going to be really interesting to see how how that all plays out, and and I think that it, it's going to be, yeah, it's going to be very curious to see who decides to try and avoid jail time at the end of this, and and I, I mean we're clearly into the upper ranks of the Trump campaign. Which was a hot mess, having covered and known a lot of these people. <laughs> yeah. So, like, that, that's the thing. It, it's just like you know, the, the question that I always ask myself is: is was this uh, idiocy or intentional with them, and, or, or you know, flying by the seat of their pants, in over their heads, smart people who are doing nine jobs and making mistakes because they're doing that? And and I think like a lot of it is just honest screwing up, yeah. but uh, or dishonest yeah. screwing up. But, but, what, but it, it, even if we're honest, is, yeah. just uh, I want to ask about something else. But even if we're honest screwing up, which there's a, that could be the case, it's still curious that there are nine now that the Washington Post has identified nine people around Trump who were talking to the Russians in thirty plus meetings. Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah. I mean, and with the top knowledge or the people, the top people on the campaign had knowledge of this. It's not like yeah, just George yeah. Papadopoulos and Carter Page who like. It sort of sounds like ended it's, up on the campaign because Trump was pressured by the Washington Post into naming some foreign it, policy it, advisors. It, 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 it went up to Jeff Sessions, who is managing yeah. the foreign policy of the campaign, and he's now the attorney general. Yeah, it's just right. hard to believe that that it would just just by circumstance nine different people would mm-hmm. think the thing the way to do why you're running man, helping manage yeah. an American presidential campaign would be talking to the Russians. You know what I mean? Yep, Morton wouldn't come normally. Tell us about Richard Spence. 
total different topic <laughs> wow, here. You've been writing sequitur. about that. I know. Um, so after Richard Spencer went to the University of Florida. Richard Spencer, not Spencer. Yeah. <laughs> I thought you guys were already on a nickname basis. No. Uh-huh. Um, after he went to the University of Florida in Gainesville, um, he's been doing a bunch of these college speeches where basically he says he wants to speak at a university. Sometimes the university says this and is going to be back crazy. Up. This is the guy that organized the Charlottesville I wouldn't say he organized it, but he was definitely very involved okay. in the Unite yeah. to Write. He's a white supremacist. He's a white supremacist. He's a white supremacist. He's the best one, dressed number white Number one white supremacist. Yes. Okay, so he's <laughs> the fashionist haircut. Right. Yeah. Yes, yes. He's been going around face. trying to get on these college campuses. Yes, and when college campuses try to turn him away because of concerns about security and the cost of security, he's got this guy, Kyle, who's his lawyer, who basically sues or threatens to sue the university University kind of gets cornered into letting him speak. It becomes this huge point of stress. Um, so he gives a speech, like the speeches we've all heard it a million times. There were some protests. Things got a little violent. Um, it all ended. We decided to FOIA the University of Florida's emails from a bunch of the top staff people there to see what it was like to kind of deal with planning this event um, because the University of Florida is public, so they're susceptible to public records laws. I FOIA'd it more thinking that it would be FOIA, interesting. Freedom of Information Act? Mm-hmm. I did that more thinking that we'd find out some things about the the security arrangements and the concerns there. Um, but the emails I got, I got about 500 pages of emails, and they were all just kind of like these hilarious descriptions or hilarious insights into like how bad Richard Spencer and his colleagues are at planning this like very simple campus rally. And so I'm just thinking, I'm like, what do I do with these emails? And we ended up writing a story that was basically like, Richard Spencer and his friends want to run a white ethno state, but they can barely pull off a campus event. <laughs> um, they they bounce the check. They're supposed to pay the university $10,000 to rent the facility and deal with a bunch of security things. They waited till the day the check was due to FedEx it the same day. It got to the university at like 10.30 p.m. Um, an administrator had to go meet the FedEx guy and sign off for this at 10.30 p.m. And then the check bounces. Uh, they kept forgetting about meetings. They say, hey, can we set up a time to talk? And the administrator would say, we already Sounds set like, up a time. Yeah. Sounds like we, this is a guy you don't want on the campus, right? Yeah. Um, we saw yeah. him emailing about the the very yeah. Depeche Mode heavy playlist that he wanted playing as he walked on stage. <laughs> he really wanted the song Welcome to the Revolution to play right as he was oh. being introduced. <laughs> right. So tax cuts this week? Theoretically. Yeah. House and Senate, do you think? House. Trying to get it through both sides. I don't think we're going to see both sides get it done now. Yeah. By the end of the year? We'll see. They're really <laughs> far apart. Yeah. No. I don't think it's a, I don't think it's a sure it's thing. Not a sign. Sure. Right. I, I, right. I think it's below 50-50. They get yeah. the final thing. Hey, what a great way to start off the week. Jessica, thanks so much for coming in. Thank Huff you. Post, HuffPost.com and TalkingPointsMemo.com. Cameron Joseph. Thanks, Cameron. This Have a great one, folks. This is The Bill Press Show.